Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara's lowest rated episode. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vince Russo and I am the Antichrist of professional wrestling. I wear this black band because if we do not stop Russo, he will kill professional wrestling for every one of you. Unless, unless your idea of a good time is having a 320 pound Samoan in the thong sitting on your face. From day one that I've been in WCW, I've done nothing, nothing but deal with the bullshit of the politics behind that curtain. I want everybody in here to know just who Vince Russo is. Vince Russo is a magazine writer. Vince Russo is nothing more than a man that's still green behind the ears, wet behind the ears, and has no business standing in this ring. You disrespect the boys, the wrestlers, Truth be known, Vince, you hate this business because you've never, ever had the balls to be a wrestler. I made a promise that I would never go back on television. But every time I leave, they pull me back in. So how are you this week, Dan? Aye, fair to shake, buddy. Fair to shake, which I'm actually surprised this is the first time I've said that in the intro to this show, because that's normally my go-to. It's uh, every, every day has been a long week this week, but it's bank holiday weekend coming up, so I'm all good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Ended up starting the podcast late because I nipped into Sainsbury's, although on the way to the checkout, I noticed they're selling a framed print with the shell yeah on pictures, so I'm just going to say tell everyone they're selling Shark Boy merchandise. That was immediately where my brain went. Did, did you buy it? Well, no, because I was rushing back to uh, start this podcast with you. You fucking let down. That would have, well, have been a perfect reason to miss the start of the recording. It's not like you're missing the start of the recording because your takeaway was late because you were dumb enough to order fish and chips on a good Friday or you're late because you needed to take an emergency shit because you couldn't go, you know, you didn't think you could go two hours without crapping your pants. Come on, man, this was like knockoff Shark Boy merchandise. You, oh, fuck's sake. That's what adult nappies are for, Dan. You need to you need to get on it. I'm not angry with you, Rob. I'm just <laughs> disappointed. Disappointed, yeah. That, that's the worst thing. But I didn't want to keep our guests waiting. So so far on the show, we've had podcasters, we've had a YouTuber, we've had a streamer. So the next logical step is to go to real actual radio DJs. So we've got Batch and Stew from Batch and Stew Do the Nineties on Drystone FM, formerly of the LD Wrestling Show. How are you this evening, guys? Superb, thanks. How are yourselves? Yeah. Yeah, decent, thanks. Thanks for having us on. I didn't realise we could F and Jeff, so that's that's an added bonus, because Drivestone Radio aren't very keen on F and Jeffing. Oh, <laughs> you, you, can, you can say, fucking bugger to your heart's content, we're not on Channel 4, and it's not Bo Selector yes. in, the, in the late 90s. I, I do have a question about a the reference. show name, though. I do have a question about the show name, though, Batch and Stew do the 90s. Is it anything like Debbie Does Dallas? Exactly. Not yet, the same. we're heading that way. We're building. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good to have you. It's good to have you on, lads. 
It's it's a bit more. Thank you for having us. I will I will get in early that you know I'm I'm honoured to be on, but we do come as as a couple like like a shit version of Ant and Deck, rant and dick. But you know it's sides of his forehead. He plays Ant and Deck, but he's the he's the big wrestling enthusiast, and I'm not. So it's been interesting going back and watching an episode that I've never ever seen before in my life. So just to get that in there now that if I don't respond to references, it's probably because I don't understand them. So you know that's fine. Most people don't respond to my references because they're shit. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> nah. Those things are shit reference to shit audience, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah. Um so I noticed a few people in the chat are drinking, so what's everyone drinking? Guests go first. I am on Stouter. Stouterick. Apparently, it's the Brussels Stout. Uh, 5%. Not bad. Not bad. It's I, not like Guinness, it, I like how it blurred you out, the blurred the beer out then, like it was not sponsored it? properly on the, on the show, yeah. <laughs> we, can't um, yeah can't probably, we can't have any sponsors on this show that aren't milk. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll probably let you down a little bit but I've, I've got a, a house red here a bit of Coca-Cola and then I've trekked myself so I've, I'm nearly finished that and I've got a little can of Dr Pepper lined up I've been off booze for a bit so you know don't kick me off just yet I'll still have some no, no. you know some good stuff to say don't you worry hey, no shame so in, cheers no, no everybody shame. No shame in not drinking. Our first guest was on water, and then we had him back the next week, and he, he popped it up to orange juice. It's just whatever you fancy. Wow. He I've sounds gone, wild. I've gone completely the other way. I'm on, uh, <laughs> one, I'm, I'm on uh, Fierce Brewery's fifth birthday edition maple bourbon VBM Imperial Stout. It's 12.5%, and it's one of the tastiest Jeez. things I have ever t- I've, I've ever had. It is bloody gorgeous. That's going on untapped, and it's pr- it's probably going to get a 4.75. It's damn near perfect. Wow. 12.5%. That reminds me of me GCSEs, that. <laughs> what are you on, Rob? Yeah, I, I've got a Silver King from Osset Brewery at the moment, and I was really excited when I uh, saw this because I thought it's a beer that's named after a wrestler. Just they haven't thought that they're naming it after a wrestler. So there was a wrestler called... Silver King in WCW in the late 90s. And I thought I'll save this for an episode of Nitro that he's on. And then I went on Cage Match, and we're not going to hit any of the episodes that he actually appears on, or certainly has a match on. So I'll have it now. Oh, what a shame. What an absolute shame. Anyway, it's not a bad beer in, uh, in Silver King. We've got, a, got an Osset Brewery pub just down the road from me. Yeah, Silver King's not a bad drop. Don't mind it at all. Yeah, I'm giving it a three on untapped. And then I've got a Sagatuck Brewing. Blueberry maple stout, although Ooh. it's only 6%, so not quite standing up to yours. At least it's not on the laughable piss section <laughs> of the uh, the Steve Von Tugbot stout scale. Um, I've, I'm following up the, the maple one with some slightly weaker, 9.2% Northern Monk OFS 036 Sweet Decadent Stout made, uh, made to a Brazilian recipe. And then, just in case we go a little bit longer, I've got some nice... Something nice and easy to finish. It's another Northern Monk, and it's a pineapple and mango pale ale because I'm on a mission to drink every beer that Northern Monk ever produce. It's a good mission. Nice. nice. Good Rob, is that the in- 
inf- is that the infamous glass you've got there? I heard that on you on mentioned a time or two. I'm sure. Well, I've got this. Oh, look at that! <laughs> Rob's rocking the guest <laughs> So now it's time for the listeners at home to sit back and relax and be the virtual Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler, and we'll be the virtual Reginald <laughs> and recommend a drink that they should drink while they're watching this episode of Monday Night Raw. So, have anyone got any recommendations? Well, I'm, I'm going to follow up my uh, Belgian stout with Jack Daniels and a bit of ginger ale, so I'd probably recommend that. It's always good wrestling fare. Can't go wrong with a bit of JD. Nah. Original Jack Daniels, because we're both fans of the the honey one, aren't we? And the, also, I'm a fan of the Tennessee Fire one. Um, yeah, this this is just OG. Yeah. I got a I got about the Apple one a while back and that did not go down well. It went down, don't get me wrong, but not a fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, love, I absolutely love the uh, the Jack Daniels honey. That shit is just far too easy to drink. I've actually if you I don't yeah. know if you I don't know where it's sold, but I've got a bottle in, in the cupboard of Cleith it's Cleethorpe's rum, but it's a butterscotch rum and that is in the same vein of just far too easily drinkable for something that's like forty, forty three percent. What brand's that? Uh, did you tell me that the rum? What? It's just called Cleethorpe's rum. Because years ago at the Fab Cafe in Leeds, I'm sure you'll have been. If not, you know, look yeah, it up. Been... It's it's just full of memorabilia, film, TV from eighties, nineties. It's amazing, and they had this um, butterscotch rum there, and I remember I can taste it now. It's like probably fifteen year ago, and I've never seen it since, and I, I feel like I dreamt it. But you just, you just enlightened my uh, butterscotch rum period. So thanks. Well, I didn't have oh, a no period worries. to such, but it were, you know. Well, get yourself down to Cleethorpes. Go to uh, there's a little uh, bottle shop there called Message in a Bottle. Shout out to them because uh, Ryan and Charles down there do some fucking fantastic work. Get yourself down there, and they it comes in a skull bottle as well, which is always cool. And once you finish the oh, bottle, yeah. you can take it down and get it, uh, and they'll. Just fill it back up for you. Beautiful. Right. You have to pay again, obviously, but Yeah. Seems like it's worth <laughs> going to Cleethorpes then. The way it's, it's the only like. reason it's the only reason to go to Cleethorpes is that beer shop. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have it. a recommendation, Stu? Well, are you sticking with the butterscotch uh... I think yeah, I went through a phase of like just mixing vo- vodka with different ices and that that didn't do me too well, but you know, <laughs> uh, what? Did, oh, what did I come up with? And I invented a drink once. It didn't go. Down, nobody enjoyed it. It was Red Bull, Coca Cola, <laughs> and vodka, and it tasted just like. I don't ask me why. How it tastes like banana medicine. So give that a whirl sometime. <laughs> or if you want to recreate like, the class. if you want to recreate the experience, chomp on a banana and take a spoonful of Calpol and a shot of vodka. There you go. <laughs> oh, vodka and Luke said sport. That's a that's a, a nifty pick me up. <laughs> right. Well, for my recommendation, I'm going to go with something easily accessible to hopefully a lot of people. It's collaboration between Brew Dog and Evil Twin, and it's a roaster coaster. You can get it from Tesco. It's a Vietnamese coffee imperial stout, nine percent, and it's absolutely bloody delicious. So I give it a four and a half on untapped. Yeah, decent that. I've had that. You say that I put too much thought into the beers that I'm recommending. So this episode of Raw went head-to-head with a Nitro, 
that was from the Georgia Dome. And at that time, it was the, the record attendance for a television taping, 41,412 people to see Nitro. And it's the episode where Goldberg wins the WCW Heavyweight Championship from Hulk Hogan. So maybe not surprised this is a, a low on the raw side. So I'm going to recommend Life is Peachy because the state fruit of Georgia is a peach. And that's by Brew York. And uh, that's a 7.4% fruited sour. Fuck me rigid, right? Do you, do you like work backwards to get to these beers? Or do you just decide, I'm going to pick this one and I'm going to go through as many links as possible to get to the venue or something to do with the venue? What's the thought Dan, process? Dan, it's obvious. As soon as you see Georgia Dome, it's life is peachy. See, now all I'm, th- all I'm thinking about now is that bloody stupid song where they talk about millions of peaches, peaches for free. And I'm remembering when I worked in a supermarket and I had to hear that song at least five times a week. And I fucking hate that song. Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going I'm I'm to end up ranty tonight. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I'm a big fan of presidents of USA. <laughs> not, not the actual presidents, the band. I hate, I'm not political, but honestly, one of the greatest bands I've ever seen live. I'll take it that's who made that Peaches song. Sorry. Yeah, but I, I feel your absolute rage for a song that you don't have control over on repeat. Well, just, just, so, just for that, just for that song, Presidents of the USA can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to agree with you, Dan. The last few episodes I've listened to, Rob's explanation for uh, picking his beers. I, I think he picks the beers and then just figures out any tenuous link he can to what's going on on a Monday night. Sorry, mate. But... <laughs> Don't spoil the man. The smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Royally. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, can I just ask, have I dreamt this? And, and there is a good chance... Did I hear once, it might have been an off-air conversation we have about the best sign of the week? Yes. The crowd. Get to that, yeah. We'll get to that. Jesus Christ, I've got thousands. I think I, I took more notice of them than than the actual episode. So, yeah, I was just checking I hadn't misread that. Yeah, there's been some Bobby Dazzlers on uh, on these shows. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this, this show was no exception. Um, <laughs> I will spoil it for next week already. The show of the, the sign of the night for next week uh, in the WCW match with WCW Nitro that we're going to cover Kevin Sullivan's highest rated episode. Someone sat right behind um, the commentary table and they've got a sign saying, La Parker is Mike Tanay. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. Spoil it already. Um, so now it's time to go to Best Beer of the Week. And Beth's beer of the week is not a beer, but a cider, Thatcher's Hayes. So Beth's beer of the week there was Thatcher's Hayes, cider at 4.5%. So she's she's gone mass-produced this week. No, that's all right, though, isn't it? It's... You see, that's, that's more my level, is that? That's the sort well, of stuff I'll get, like, I'll, like, get eight cans of and just have it by me if I'm, like, doing a barbecue. Yeah, exactly. Just so you know, because you need to stay hydrated when it's hot. When it's a hot day and you're behind a hot grill, you need to keep your fluids up. And uh, I find that cider works pretty well for that. Normally, when other shows get guests on, they'll ask them uh, how they got into wrestling, that kind of thing. But we're a genetic freak and we're not normal, so we're going to ask our guests to rank what's their most important aspects when they watch wrestling. So we gave you some homework. 
So, so Batch, do you want to go first? I'll go. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy to go first. So this is a tough one for me because I, I was the, the top two for me. Not a lot in them. Storyline and in ring for me, massive. But I, I scored storyline as my five in ring four. Yeah. Presentation three, fan reaction two. I can't give a shit any shit about the promos. <laughs> it can help this episode rather than is it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I picked a butte. <laughs> yeah, mine. Mine put mine down as storylines up there in ring, um, but I like the fan reaction, and then promos was again last, and that's a presentation for. Did you get that? I said it yeah. in a strange order. Everyone we've had on the show so far, including uh, Dan and myself, have put storyline as the most important, which kind of goes to show uh, and m- maybe says something about the, the age bracket of the guests that we've had on. Yeah, but uh, I've, so. <laughs> I've said it before, Rob. We just want to be sat in a comfy chair and told a story. Yeah, exactly. Who done? And I will say, the fan reaction being low on mine, I do care about the fan reaction. I just don't trust it. You know, Vince <laughs> the man has been pumping pumping yeah, fan that was in for years, so does it matter what, what they sound like? Well, the way I put it was uh, I, the fan reaction can can help stuff, but what do I give a fuck what people in the arena or online or ever think as long as I enjoyed it? Yeah, but what I've learned from watching football this season is fan reaction apparently makes a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It really does. So... Just in case anyone's listening from a certain heavily alcoholic Bristol-based podcast, this next segment isn't gimmick infringing because we're just doing it as a one-off having radio DJs on the show. So we're going to look at the top 100 from the week of 5th of July 98 to 11th of July 98, and we're each going to pick three songs out of that top 100 that are either our favourite or you know sort of stood out to us. So uh, since you guys are the musical guys, what, what would you go for, Batch? Well, just I, to I'll add go- to that, not just picking them, but they are going to go in our this week's show, aren't they? Have so I? it saves us a job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our show, yeah. They'll be putting music on podcasts. Help, fire. Well, we've got yeah. a six-week <laughs> delay on um, publishing these episodes, so maybe not this week. <laughs> time traveling time podcasting. Yeah. Like oh, oh, you're going to say we stole the idea from you uh, six weeks later? <laughs> maybe. No, I was... I was going to suggest, being like the music's and it's going to go on the radio show, it's going to let you guys uh, drop your uh, insights first and then uh, let me and Stu follow up with our terrible choices. I mean, my terrible choices, Stu's inspired choice. Cool. Well, my first one, I've gone for Three Lions 98, uh, Badil Skinner and the Lightning Seeds. And that was going to be my first one. Well, but it's iconic. I remember, you know walking to the pub, seeing all the flags hanging out of people's windows, hearing hearing it blasting out of people's houses and flats sort of uh, on the way, and then, you know, getting to the pub with such optimism, and then uh, Beckham <laughs> embarrassing himself against Simeone and is getting knocked out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've got fond memories of it as well. I love that song. Uh, I love the 96 version as well, because yeah. uh, in, in the heartbreak associated with that. But yeah, I was going to pick Three Lines 98 for my first one. But since I can't, I'm going to, that was number four. I'm going to pick the one that was uh, number five and go with the Vindaloo by Fat Les for the very same reason. 
also the fact that in uh, when this was released i was uh, i was nine and so a song about curry and all the bullshit that went with it I was, it was just the funniest thing in the world to me at that point <laughs> <laughs> nice I, i'm getting worried now because i only wrote three down i didn't realize we were going to try and trump each other so sorry my, my my next two are, uh, i've picked purely to annoy you all right good i don't know what they are then. <laughs> right. my next one is fuel by metallica this was a very cheesy chart this week, and I, and I know this period of Metallica isn't everyone's favourite, but you know it was no. the one rock song in the chart, so I'm going with that. Uh, My second I'm, one. I'm, oh, sorry, Batch go on. And I are big. No, sorry, Batch and I are big fans. I never knew that charted in '98. To be fair, uh, it, it, um, like so uh, fair place or something. Right there we go. Well, very good choice. My uh, my first pick to annoy Rob is in 18th place, and it's uh, Lost in Space by the Lighthouse Family. But it's it's not only to annoy Rob actually. My uh, this again being the age I was, obviously if whenever I went anywhere I was being taken and driven around by my parents, and they had all sorts of music on in the car. One of my earliest my earliest memories is I was about two or three, and I'm rocking around. And my dad's listening to Meatloaf, so I've always loved that. But at this time, one of the uh, I think it probably be tapes they had in the car was Lighthouse Family. So I've always had a real soft spot for him. And let's be fair, I don't know the guy's name, but his voice, it's like having your ears massaged, isn't it? It's not my ears. <laughs> whoa, 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 is this a Me Too movement thing? What's going on? What, what did he massage yeah. for you, Stu? Everything when I heard his tones. All my insides. <laughs> Good choice. Great shout. Um, so next, and again, it's a cheesy chart, so... Had to go for something a bit cheesy. I've gone for Let Me Entertain You by Robbie Williams. Tune. Yeah, solid. Yeah. I think that were about the time everyone realised, he's, he, yeah, he's all right. You know, like, when he got a bit thinner and want as much of a twat. Well, uh, and, and he had, who is it, writing his songs for him? A guy changed. Guy, that's him. Um, yeah. And you can't deny that's a top, top bollocks tune, so good, good shout. Yeah, Robbie Williams cops a lot of flack these days, and rightly so for some of the like later stuff he's released. But late nineties Robbie Williams, he was actually pretty spot on, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he smashed it. He uh, he knew his he knew his audience, and uh, yeah, he was huge, wasn't he, at that time period? Yeah, I think it changed when he he got that record contract and said he's rich, rich beyond his wildest dreams. And then it's like, yeah, you can tell now. <laughs> Why he lost, his, lost his fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, and he and he left in a guy, big chambers. So there we go. Right, my last one is actually a song with a wrestling connection. Believe it or not, and it's uh, truly madly deeply by Savage Garden, and it's because there's an American tag team called Besties in the World, and they use uh, truly madly deeply as their entrance music. Music that and Rob mentioned last week when we were talking about this that he absolutely fucking hates this song. Well, <laughs> and I believe a certain uh, heavily alcohol inf- influenced Bristolian also hates this song. So, you know, there you go. Fuck you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't remember his name now, but your man from Savage Garden, actually a criminally underrated songwriter. I can see why this song would be a a divisive one, absolutely. But like I said, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> Good 
great choices there and great reasons, guys. Thank you. Stu, do you want to kick us off or should I kick off R3? You go first. I'll take I'll the first. next one. So, firstly, now Rob said it, I'm gutted I missed that Fuel by Metallica was in the chart at this point. That's a kick in the teeth for me. I'm a massive Metallica fan and I'd have picked it if it's in it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in Fat Lads Bindaloo because that was in there for me. Dan's already called it, but that was my song of that World Cup. I know uh, the deal is going to re-release three lines, but, you know, they'd done that two years earlier. No one likes uh, rehashing stuff. And there, so, no yeah, Korea, and there was there was no Korean involved in three lines ninety eight. Exactly. Let alone a bucket of it. <laughs> do do any of you remember the the compilation CD that did the rounds around the same time and it had Vindaloo on and it had another classic meat pie sausage roll. Come on, England, give us a goal. Did you ever hear that one? No. You're in for a you're in for a treat. It was one of these like well packaged things just advertised on telly and there was some right shit on it. But yeah, it was it was basically dining out on Vindaloo and Three Lions, but then they had some yeah. I recommend you listen to Meat Pie Sausage Roll. It's an old fella or oh, an old fella Meat Pie Sausage Roll. Come on, England, give it a go. And yeah, it's that, it's awful as it sounds. That's not that's not the fella who's on the corn advert now, is it? Was a, I've had meat and two veg every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, you know. Am I next, Batch? You are, mate. So there is. I feel absolutely in agreement. It was a. It was a tr- awful week. Fuel was number sixty, by the way. I just found it now. I'm going for Horny by Moose T, just because it's fucking awful, and how they made money off that song. I don't know what the fuck that is, but it's just come out of my beer. Jesus. It's like a worm. It's some sort of gelatinous discharge. I love how he tries to work out. It's like the beer's congealed. Nice. Something to chew on. I've got nowhere to put that. It just winks at me. Nice. (laughs) Oh, well, if I start to mute it any worse in the middle of the podcast, you know what did it? Fucking hell. I've never had that before. Sorry. Not at all, mate. That's uh, that's a special special shout out. <laughs> it's a tequila worm, and now we've got the beer sludge. Nice. Yeah. So, so Moose Tea Horny was a bit of a comedy suggestion. I enjoy Save Tonight. It's got quite a connection because it's it's a really easy song to play on on guitar and stuff. And we've always done it in every band of any iteration I've ever been in. So, but you can choose Moose Tea Horny or or Save Tonight. I was going to go Horny. <laughs> and what about the music? I'll do then. All oh, right, yeah, uh, safe tonight. Yeah, we'll <laughs> so my second choice is Road Rage Catatonia. I never really got into Catatonia, but I've always liked that song. It's one of those I just kind of forget it was them when I listen to it, other than a extremely Welsh accent singing the chorus. So yeah, that that was my second choice from that. Uh, I, remember, one. I remember. I remember. Absolutely hating Catatonia, right? I just didn't like them at all. And I went to see Manic Street Preachers, who I was massively into, and Catatonia was supported, and I came away. They were brilliant. Manics were shit. So, yeah. After that, I listened to them, and they had some good songs. 
We'll have to check with Steve. He's, uh, he's hating Catatonia because that's what they did on Bang Bang this week. Is that classed as gimmick infringing? Rob? No, Breathing's classed as gimmick infringing with Steve. <laughs> we'll fight them. All four of us will fight them, whatever. We'll just fight. Oh, on can't be asked. It's a right long slog down to Bristol. Yeah, fair. So it's your number two, then, Stu? Oh, shit. I thought we were doing a joint list. Uh, it's definitely not the number one, by the way. I just, I'll just tell you that much. Wow, what one one? now, Billy. Billy, Billy Piper. What did I have? Oh, Intergalactic Beastie Boys. Yes. Great Good show. Tune. Fuck that every was, one of them. That was my other one. Uh, it was Intergalactic Beastie Boys, but I will switch it up for uh, Rockefeller Skank by Fatboy Slim, because. I was toying between both of them too. That's uh, mad. So, that. so was I. That's <laughs> you. One way, I'll go the other. Not bad, Rockefeller skank. So those are my three. I'm, I'm guessing if you were going to go split them through, then uh, you'll have the other one. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Happy with that. Unfortunately, this happens, this happens a lot on our radio show. We've got two similar tastes, so we, we're like, let's debate yeah. these songs. And it's like we both picked the same list. Like, ah, oh, that's not much to debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see everyone avoided the Spice Girls stop, so at least you'd have to play that. Yeah, unfortunately, someone out himself as a massive Spice Girls fan a couple of weeks ago on the show, so he'd have probably enjoyed that. I, I, I knew they were in the chart, but I couldn't bring myself to choose them when they were like 16, 17, because that's just not fair, is it? You know, it'll have been number one for many weeks, I would have thought. I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually like gun shy drinking this beer now. <laughs> What's the worst yeah, thing? Drinking through a sieve. In, in the words of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> is that all Satash's for? Just, yeah. you know, straight through that. <laughs> yeah, if I call like that. Yeah, laughing. <laughs> so, this is Ed Ferrara's first episode while he's in there in charge of creative along with Vince Russo. So, before he gets hired, Vince McMahon's going to log into LinkedIn and have a look at all the uh, qualities that would make him make that decision. So we'll just have a sneaky peek and see what you saw. So I'm going to go through these, and if you think anything's relevant or whatever, feel free to comment on them. He graduated from Drew University in 1989 with a BA in Theatre Arts and English. Knows how to put on a show. Yeah, and, and would speculated before that... They were really moving away from sort of a wrestling present or a wrestler's presentation to a more television presentation, and maybe this kind of fits in. He'd actually trained and wrestled in SWF, which was Slammers Wrestling Federation, uh, and he was in that uh, between 94 and 96, working under the name of Bruce Bodine. A bit of wrestling experience always helps. You know what you're asking people to do. They have a bit of trust in you that you're not going to ask them to do, well, hopefully not ask them to do anything uh, too dangerous. And he even went on and won the uh, Slammers Wrestling Federation Championship. I'm not sure how, uh, how prestigious that is, but a win's a win. It's more championships than I've won. Yeah. Have we checked this federation actually existed? He's not just made it up for his CV, because, you know, I've been thinking of doing that myself for LinkedIn. Well, put it on there. <laughs> put on that you're, you've won the Slammers Wrestling Federation uh, Championship and see how far it gets you. Worth a try. Worth a Ferrara. Batch Bodine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He went on to uh, be a television writer. He, were, he wrote one-off episodes for programmes like The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog and The New Dennis the Menace. What's that thumbs down for, Stu? 
I was a massive fan of the Beano, and then when they when they aired the con- cartoon, I was like, that ain't what he sounds like. Anyway, you you were worried about Adam? the voice. You worried about the voice of a cartoon character that was based on a comic strip. Yeah, yeah. Well, you read it in their voice, don't you? I couldn't tell you what it sounds like, but they got it wrong. It worked like it sounded in my head. It wasn't so your internal. It wasn't your internal monologue. Do you know exactly. what? I've I've found that Vince McMahon's done exactly the same thing with Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Every time he opens his mouth, it's like that's not what he sounds like. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> He's on Alien. And then he gets a job writing um, TV series. So he's um, one of the uh, writers for the series of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and also for Weird Science. The TV writings, like like we said before, the direction they want to go, which is more television based. It's more they want it to be tomorrow. Want it to be more of a television show that happens to have wrestling rather than a wrestling show for TV. So it makes perfect sense for what they're driving for. And perhaps the clinching um, part of this is Weird Science was on the USA Network. And um, during the hiatus of Weird Science, one of the network executives was talking to Vince McMahon and happened to mention that she knew a TV writer who was a part-time wrestler. So thought it might be a good idea if he came to the show. So Vince invited him to King of the Ring and they kind of hit it off straight away. Came into the next episode of Raw just to sit backstage and by this episode of Raw on the 6th of July, 98, he'd been given a full-time job. Easy as that. Yeah, it's not but It's a lot easier than the way Russo came in. Yeah, well, Russo was sat there for years and he had to come in through the magazine and Ferrara just pulls up. Yeah, Russo had to, had to send a letter to Linda, didn't he? And, uh, and say, here's my credentials. Can I work on the magazine? And, like, you know, sort of scratch and claw for every little run. And Ferrara's, you know, obviously, work, you know, he's put the work in being a wrestler and put the work in writing for TV. But essentially, he's been, in terms of his writing career, he's been handed a golden ticket. It's classic, not what you know, it's who you know, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. Or in this case, it's who who you know. It's, it's who it's who you know who they know. If that yeah. makes any sense. You yeah. know what I'm driving at, fuck it. This is a that's a really nice 12, 12.5% beer. It's going to go well for you tonight, Dan. I can feel it. Um, be a fuck up. <laughs> so just to give the context of the ratings, the last couple of episodes we've covered Vince Russo's solo time in charge. It had an average of 3.85, and there'd been quite a significant upward trend. Russo and Ferrara are going to work together for 68 episodes. They're going to take the average up to 5.6, a high of 8.1 eventually on the 10th of May 99, and the episode we're covering today, which is the low of, uh, and actually, in fact, Ed Ferrara's first episode, which gets a four. And again, it, there's a massive upward trend during this period, and that compares to the time afterwards where Chris Kresge is going to take over, and while the show is still with the USA Network, because there is a change when Kresge is in charge, the average goes to 6.11, which looks a lot better, but actually it's sort of a pretty flat, slightly downward trend once Kresge gets there from kind of the heights that Russo and Ferrara are going to take it to, and that 8.1 is going to be the highest rated episode of the Monday Night Wars for either side. Yeah, and it's it's mad to mad looking at this when you when you're seeing a, a four as the as the lowest of any given era. That that is can, can sort of compared to where wrestling is now, it it's just insanity. 
It really is, and and this is you know that this fall is coming ten weeks after the uh, the five point seven Russo's high that we looked at, and and this is only the second week working together. But you, I think you've already mentioned the the mitigating factor, and that was the absolutely enormous match that WCW were giving away for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, um, as you as you're saying there, realistically now any any only wrestling would kill for those numbers. You know, a four now would be like all oh, the Christmases come at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're, lo- we're looking, we're looking back on how disappointing just to fall. Yeah, it's all relative. And uh, again, just to put in perspective, that 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 far is four percent of the audience. So today they work it in in millions. So that's going to equate to probably just over six million people. So it's, it, it's even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over three you, weeks, you, bro. Yeah. Looking at you, looking at you're looking at like what four times, four times, maybe, maybe some weeks, even six times the raw viewership now. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's crazy. Yeah, crazy days. So, this episode comes from the Bryce Jordan Center at State College, Pennsylvania, and can't actually find out what the attendance was, but they ran the same arena in January and had 8,628. They ran it again in October with 8,725. So I think it's pretty reasonable to assume it would have been round about those figures. Well, I was looking at online, said the stadium holds 15,500, but I'm guessing it must have been upgraded because this place looked packed. Don't know if yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah, they were literally hanging from the rafters. There's no way they were. there was more space there that, that seats weren't filled all the area at some point didn't there rather than half of it being shut off at cameras and smoke and mirrors it looked back to me it looked like a covid you know perfect place yeah i get nervous watching crowds now i got nervous or, watching or anything involving yeah yeah but anyway we, we won't go into that yeah, there's more divisive topics because this episode, and you know, we might actually go on and cover the actual segment, but this is the first time to our knowledge that we've been peacocked. So there is a segment <laughs> that's been removed from this episode. It's quite happy, and I'm quite happy about it because it was going to be an absolute minefield. And I mentioned it before we started recording, not something that any of us were, uh, were really qualified to, uh, to speak on. Yeah, I'm, I'm more yeah. than happy to give that one a wide berth. Yeah, we and all bet, agreed it was a, even back then, you know, it was way off, way off the mark, wasn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've, I mean, knocking it out of his nose. Fuck's sake. I was just going to say, and I've based all my ratings on it not being there, so. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I didn't know that, I didn't know it was missing, so there we go, until you told us. So now we're going to go through and between us pick five moments from the show. So they can either be good, bad, or just notable, something we want to discuss. And then we'll try and come to a collective uh, five between us. So, Batch, what's your first? My first was, I think it was the the first actual match. Bracus versus, what's his name now? Savio Vega. Savio Vega, I wrote that down. And there's there's two points in this. One, allegedly, Bracus had no idea it was a shoot. 
he thought it was going to be a work match. So when Savio Vega started battering him, he was like, what the f is going on? Uh, <laughs> I came here, kicked in here, and I have no idea why. Uh, the second part is the referee, Danny Arch, one of the greatest of all times, and it's just casually like glanced over. The, oh. He's he's refing this match. It's like, what the f They just mentioned it casually. So, yeah, that, that, that was one of my most as a negative, like, how do you not tell? So, I mean, uh, I could be wrong on this, but I think this was Brackus's debut on TV. It was. After they built him up, and they let him go in there and get absolutely mugged off. I mean, that's Vince McMahon's booking all over it. <laughs> I've got a hot new star. There's potentially to do something with him. Now, I'll let him go look like an idiot. Funny you should mention Brackus. Uh, we actually, or I actually brought up the uh, the first um, Brackus vignette that we saw on one of the previous episodes. And I'm pretty sure by this point that they'd had the vignettes, quietly dropped them, sent him away to do whatever, you know, more training, etc. And then I think this was his one of two Raw matches that he ever had. Right. He lost, or it might, in fact, it might not have been Raw. I think it was actually on Shotgun Saturday night. His only win was anyway. So Brackus was, um, he was done dirty, but it was just the sheer size of him. You can see why Vince yeah. was interested. He, he was looking at him thinking, this is like, this is German Ultimate Warrior. Oh, 100%. But um, I'm really glad you brought up Danny Hodge, and I'm sorry if anybody was uh, was going to speak on this as well, but Danny Hodge, it was so criminally glossed over. That man yeah. is an absolute legend. I did a bit, I'm going to go off on go off on one a little bit. I hope nobody minds. Um, Please do. Just his his life was insane from a sporting standpoint. He was an undefeated collegiate amateur wrestler, forty six and zero. He's one of only two three time NCAA wrestling champions to be not, to pin all three of his final opponents. He's a two time wrestling Olympian and he won a silver at the nineteen fifty six Olympics. The amateur wrestling equivalent of the NF of uh, American football's Heisman Trophy is named after him, the Danny Hodge Award. He's an eight-time NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, and his combined reigns equal about 10 years. 10 years across eight reigns. And in 1958, he won, uh, he won boxing, he won a version of the Golden Gloves, and he was an undefeated amateur, 17 and 0 and 12 knockouts in, an, in amateur boxing, which is insane. And he had an 8 and 2 professional boxing record. He is one of the toughest men and one of the just best all-round combat, you know, sort of combat sportsman wrestlers that's ever lived. And even up to the age of 80, he could crush an apple in one hand. And he, he actually, yeah, used to, um, his, one of his party tricks was breaking pliers, just squeezing them so hard they sprung apart. Yeah. I remember seeing videos of him doing that, crushing apples and crushing tennis balls just with his hands. Just yeah, like nothing. I mean, it's insane. As a very old man, mental. Yeah. But yeah, so, that that was it. Stood out to me because I had to pause and rewind to check that they had just said referee Danny Hodge, and I was like, "Is, is that all the mention you're going to give to?" As you've just pointed out, such a great man and a legend of the sport. That oh yeah, by the way, that's the refs. This this was the what? second week of the brawl for all though, so they might have they might have True. done so they might have done it the week before. I hope they did. They probably didn't. But um, I'm just going to jump in, but we're probably going to go to Stu next. But I was going to bring up, uh, and I probably will talk about more after, but I was going to bring up Savio versus Brackus and just the brawl for all in general. So I don't know which way you were going, whether you were going for 
the bad that they weren't mentioning Danny Hodge or or the match itself. Bad on every single count. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll shut up for uh, a minute. Sorry, lads. And yet I'm no. happily Don't going hard on Brawl for All in general because, as I'm mm. sure you're going to touch on, what a, a shambles that was. But yeah, that the so Danny Hodge thing, I'm gonna... and Rackus thing stood out to me. Uh, so what what we tended to do when we did our wrestling was we wouldn't I wouldn't deliberately wouldn't message Batch in between what we're watching because I wanted his like on air reaction and things like that and so so bear with me for my ignorance here but my first point was my first question and in mind I've gone in cold to that episode not knowing what to expect because you're all welcome that I stepped away for the greatest areas of wrestling so you could all enjoy it. But I genuinely like, I, I know, I'd noticed in the chat you'd mentioned Brawl for All, I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is. And I, and again, anyone listening is going to think I'm an absolute idiot, but was it a legit, you know, my first question is, was it literally just, tw- you know, knocking 10 bells out of each other? Because they did. Yeah. Not just that one either, the, the later on, the... Um, yes Uh, and that was a draw wasn't it but yeah so that was my first point of the whole thing was like yeah what what was that about and did they do it again (laughs) yes so they did a whole tournament and one of the reasons this comes around is that the wwf are bringing in dr death steve williams who JR is waxing lyrical about and saying that he's legitimately the hardest man in wrestling. At the same time, you have people like JBL in the back saying that they're the hardest man in wrestling. And Vince Russo thought it would be a great idea to make them prove it. So he came up with the idea of having a legitimate competition. And in hindsight, it was an awful idea. There were a lot of injuries. There's two broken noses on this show, which yeah. goes to show what it was. But at the time, you've got to remember, Vince McMahon was kind of interested in either buying or competing with UFC. You know, that that was just becoming sort of a thing that pe- people were interested in. And they were trying to do something different. So you can kind of understand how they came to this idea that, you know, once the traditional rules of wrestling are out of the window, let's try it. I'm I'm not a big fan of boxing or MMA and, you know, I don't, don't watch it. So I, I don't know as much as you and I'm not as invested. And, I, I, you know, the Hawk and Drozdov match was sad, really. But I was actually invested in this Bracus Salvio Vega match. And that, <laughs> that might say something to me and maybe I need to watch more MMA and boxing. But... I was actually really invested and really entertained by it. So, and, and I remember enjoying it at the time. So, and I, I, know, I know it's wrong. Uh, I know it shouldn't have happened, but it's like a car crash. I couldn't tell my eyes were. And this is where I'm going to jump back in because I do watch a lot of boxing, not a vast amount of MMA. And it was both fights were terrible fights. There's no getting around it. The Savio Vega versus Bracus was better because Savio actually landed some really good punches um, and it's no it's no so even though the, you know the size of brackets you think oh it could be it could take a shot but it's one of those things everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face so, so i actually really enjoyed this 
Like, and it gets shit on a lot, does the brawl for all. And you're quite right in what you're saying that it should never have happened because you shouldn't be chucking untrained people or barely trained people into that sort of situation because, as as it as it did, result in result in serious injury potentially be be fatal. We saw it when um, that YouTube dickhead, one of the one of the Paul brothers, boxed boxed a uh, basketball player. And the basketball player was just so far out of his, out of his depth. The the Paul brother, I think it was Jake Paul, he'd obviously had a lot of training, and you know, it go it went to show just how much even a even a bit of training can make a difference. But the fact that they even changed the ropes and they changed the lighting, and they had the point system, which was bullshit, to be honest. The point system was rubbish. Yeah. But I've got I really have to give them I give any promotion props for trying something new and they really went all in on it right up to you know the right into the graphics and everything and, and even the commentary style changed even king was a bit more serious and trying to call the action yeah, yeah. and i thought jr was really well suited to it so I, I was actually going to bring up the brawl for all in general particularly this first match as from from a spectator standpoint if you can park you know park the issues surrounding the safety of it it was a great spectacle, even if there were crap fights. I was hoping uh, I, Ken Shamrock might take part, because were he um, an ex-MMA guy, or didn't he have that yeah, experience? Yeah. And Because um, he, he was he the only guy. Like, I was just going to say, yeah, he comes out like next match. They point out that he's ex-UFC world champion, and he's like, well, so why isn't he in Brawl for All? Because he's the one with actual striking. He's got he's got experience here, but he's not in it. He had bigger fish to fry. Pointless. They're, they're bigger <laughs> plans for Shamrock at this point. He'd already been in the WWF for for a little while, and you can tell by what happens later in the show and the way they talk about him. They're putting a lot of time and effort and whatnot behind yeah. Shamrock being one of the next big things. The the brawl for all was more to showcase the the sort of wannabe. Hard bastards, apart from Steve Blackman, because he's legitimately one of the toughest motherfuckers to ever live. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Shamrock didn't need to be in this, and I think if he yeah. had a bit, if Shamrock had been in it and failed, it'd have only hurt him. So they wanted to just keep him away and uh, and protect him in that regard. My my biggest issue with Brawl for All on a whole was all these guys for the last what sixty years between Vince, his dad, and promoters since have been trying to build these guys as legitimate tough guys as you know real badass athletes and then they put them in this competition where you know other than Savio Vega they all looked like they've never thrown a punch in their life they're they're all like flapping around and it made them all look weak so immediately kind of it felt to me like it was breaking the illusion of well you know like Hawk for example you you see him come to the ring and he's straight out there battering people and an, an absolute killer but yeah brawl for all he he couldn't even knock draws down he couldn't even land a punch it it was one of those things i think they should have either had a bit of a test match behind closed doors well let's let's see how this is going to actually look with these giant men that we're building as as badasses and legit tough guys let's see if they do look as tough when we put the gloves on and ask them to fight for real Oh, they should have orchestrated a little bit. They should have just had, you know, actually made it look like it was 
a shoot, but also make them look strong. You know, obviously, as Rob pointed out, they had Doctor Death. That it was lined up a tournament for him to win, and obviously they ended up with egg on their face there. But if that was the idea, then let's let's build to that as we do best in orchestrated fights because. The, the bad taste is left in my mouth was they all looked like they couldn't fight for shit. Until so tune in the next week. Like we said, it's... Yeah. So tune in the next week and trying to see the same guy come out and act like he's the tough guy again. It's like, well, hang on a minute. I saw you last week flapping around like a, a teenager at school. What? And now all of a sudden you've remembered how to fight again. It just felt a bit off. Just ill-advised um... for me. And we actually got this on this show because Mark Marrow comes out the week after he's lost in the bra for all and uh, he's, he's trying yeah. to, you know, be, they, should have, they should have at least taken the guys that were in the bra for all out of the programmes that they were in. But they seem to want to carry on and, and have them try and be wrestling at the same time as doing the bra for all, which kind of made yeah, no do sense. Yeah, do a little bit of training and make it look good. Yeah. Um, so are we all agreed that bra for all slash the... Bracus Salvio Vega for good or bad should go into our collective uh, top five. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Stu, what's yours? Again, my first one with that. Bearing in mind, I've had different, probably different observations to you guys, but I made a right mess of this episode in in tour in general. I think Batch and I we share my WWE account. And I'm pretty sure we were watching it at the same time because it just kept flicking <laughs> backwards and forwards. And and what happened was, I, I don't want to dive straight into the great ending. Is that okay though if I do? Yeah. 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 So what had happened was, I'd, unbeknownst to me, I don't know if you use the WWE app, but it recently it's become awful after WrestleMania. There were no timer. After about 30 seconds, the the, what are the controls went. You couldn't fast forward. You couldn't rewind. You just had to watch it in one long stint. It were awful. Batch has got reasons behind that probably, but I get that. But the, this episode, what happened was, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, it had gone on to the next episode. And <laughs> the, the first opening clips are Undertaker masquerading as Kane so then when I came to the actual match I had no idea that I'd watched this bit I just I watched it I'm like he's done that two weeks fucking running <laughs> and then realised and then realised oh you absolute knob I've, I've, I've spoiled that by seeing the kind of highlight but had I not seen it it was a, a great ending great build to it that that was my favourite other than Terry Funk, who looked about 80 even back then, he was my he was my best. So I'm going for the ending was was probably my highlight. But... Yeah, I mean, it's one of the iconic moments of the Attitude Era, that whole moment when The Undertaker well, pulls off the mask, well, Kane pulls off the mask and it's The Undertaker underneath. And they'd been building to this match all night, and I don't know if people want to cover it in separate segments or whatever, but the opening segment is, you know, Taker and Austin and McMahon and the talk, you know, Undertaker's saying he's not going to leave the ring until he gets a title shot, and then, you know, Vince McMahon says he's going to announce the number one contender later on, and then later on, it's decided there's going to be a triple threat match, and then we get to this point, 
Supposedly a triple threat match, but Kane and Mankind are in the ring. Undertaker's music hits a couple of times. No sign of the Undertaker. And then Mankind says, I'm not going to fight my best friend. I'm not going to fight Kane. And he just leans against the steps and goes on a go slow. And, you know, he's going to stay there. And then, you know, they've got the sort of red lighting that they had for the Kane match. And Kane goes out of the ring, gets a chair, and he looks as if he's going towards commentary because there's there's both Austin and McMahon on commentary. So there's a chance he's going to attack one or, or both of them. And then he turns around and, and smashes Mankind in the head in, in an age when there was unprotected chair shots just against the ring. And then he, he he takes him into the ring and there's Vince shouting, that's right, drag him around the ring, drag him around the ring as if that's going to do anything to him. Uh, and then then pins him and, and then we, we get the reveal. And I've said it so many times on these episodes that we've reviewed, it's that soap opera element, it's that bingeability factor, it's that I've got to find out what happens next. And obviously Stu found out what happens next. But um, for the rest well, of us... Well, it's just another, it's another example... It's quite um, consistent with my whole wrestling career. Like, totally spoiled it. <laughs> I, uh, never <laughs> saw it anyway. And then I just saw it, uh, this big reveal, and I'm like, we did that last week, dickhead. What, what's so good about that? And But but to echo what you just said, that was why it's a highlight. It had the full intricate ins and outs of right at the start, right through, and, and that's what I loved about it. And one other side note, it was really strange for me to see and I mean this with absolute love. Undertaker is just another wrestler, like not this big mystical kind of figure that obviously matured. And he was just another wrestler. Look, you know, he was darting around demanding stuff from Vince, and there wasn't that like mysterious element about it, which I get why, but it was cool. I really enjoyed it. This for me was one of the few segments that justified that Kane outfit. It's my least favourite Kane outfit in his big body sock. <laughs> <laughs> but this justified it because at least it covered Taker's tattoos and made it a bit more believable. But, you know, Kane was built. He had ripped arms. Video, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Kane was built. He had ripped arms and it was a bit like Roman Reigns up until recently. Like, you know, you've, you've got this impressive physique and let's put a big morph suit on and cover it all up so no one knows. Can I talk about Kane now? Please do. <laughs> I deliberately stayed quiet because, as as is obvious, as will become obvious on this show, I am uh, probably the world's biggest Kane fan, which is why I just give you the double bird for saying that that '97 suit was shit. You were entitled to your wrong opinion. Um, it didn't. It didn't. It, uh, this is how much of a Kane nerd I am. The music hit. It came out. I looked at it and just went, "That's not Kane." The hair was all wrong. The way he raised his arms to do the pyro was different, and the suit was like hanging off in like places it don't normally. So that's how much of a fucking nerd I am. But it was a great segment. Just to clarify, are you a Ken did you say you're a massive Ken fan or hater? Massive Kane fan. Love him. Right. Yeah, I thought like, that's what you said. Sorry. Bret Hart was my first favourite wrestler, but Kane yeah, like properly cemented it for me. Absolutely love it. One of the highlights of this that nobody's mentioned yet is when Vince gets in the ring to talk to Tony Chimmel and says and gets Chimmel to say Undertaker's a chicken shit. So it's going to be no holds barred, false count anywhere. And the actual line that uh, Mankind says is, I have given enough. And bear in mind, this is what, eight days after Hell in a Cell? So he is yeah. fully battered. And I don't, I actually believe that he was legitimately limping, you know, and legitimately having to hold himself that way. 
He says, I have given enough and I'm not giving any more. I will not under any circumstances fight my friend Kane. And then he just <laughs> then Kane comes out and just waffles him right in the face with a <laughs> with a chair. It was yeah, it was unreal. And it was like we were say, reviewing um, I can't remember if it was last episode or a couple of episodes ago, Rob. I think it was the last episode, Paul Bearer promo, where he reveals that he's Kane's real dad. It's that soap opera that that was a soap opera reveal. And that this that moment there, the betrayal, what you think's a betrayal, is another soap opera moment. But then for the Undertaker to peel the mask off and he you know, it's him under there. And it's just like, yeah, you're just like <clears throat> you're watching that and you think, shit, what happened next week? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, are we all in agreement that the fake Kane goes on a combined I, list? I am never going to turn down anything that involves Kane. But is this one of the elements of of that kind of urban myth of the kind of fake undertakers and fake? There was that kind of rife story, wasn't there? That, that, or was was there another point where there was a fake undertaker? Yeah, the, there was a point yeah. where there was a fake undertaker, and and then there was. I think there was the belief as well that it had been replaced at one point, right? Um, okay. Which is pretty common because um, they did. People used, you know, people used to believe that the Ultimate Warrior had been replaced and stuff. It was always, you know, someone comes back from injury, they've lost a bit of weight or whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, it's somebody else. Yeah, it's like me after lockdown at work. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> So, what's your first one, Dan? Right, well, uh, my first two have, uh, have both been taken already. So, I'm going to go to an actual wrestling match, and I'm going to go for D'Lo Brown versus Terry Funk. Because I, I, lo- I looked at this match on paper, and I thought, this is just going to be... It's going to be a nothing match. You know, it's going to be one of those that we've seen in previous weeks, where it's a few minutes, there's a run-in... And who gives a shit? But we actually got the origin story for Delo's chest protector, which I forgot to write down and completely escapes me at the minute. But we got the origin story for Delo's chest protector, and it was actually a bloody good match. There was some really good work in this. What was it like? Funk, even just at the start, Funk stops shorts on the Irish whip, drops to his knees, and takes out Delo's leg. Like I've, I don't think I've seen that before or since. Then Delo hitting the big corner splash with the chest protector. I thought that was the point where they were going to stop the match, just to really sell the thing, because Funk was Funk looked like he was dying. Looked like he was absolutely dying after that. And then you had, you had Funk hitting a pile driver, but the fun stuff happens when it goes to the outside, and Funk hits an Asai moonsault off the second rope, and his shins absolutely hammer into the guardrail. And literally, in my notes, word for word, what I've written... Hits the Asai Moonsault off the second rope, hitting his shins on the guardrail. He's 54 for fuck's sake. And then it comes up and he and he hits another Moonsault off the top rope, but they had the they had the sense of, you know, Funko or, or D'Lo between them had the sense to make sure D'Lo was on his front. <laughs> so that he he hit the Moonsault to the back, doing more damage, avoids the chest protector. But then you have the interference from Godfather at, uh, at ringside who waffles Funk in the back of the head with his chain. And then D'Lo hits the lowdown, which I still, for my money, is not talked about enough as one of the best frog splashes in the business. Like, he legitimately looks like when he does the whole, you know, puts his hands between his legs and then shoots his body out, he looks like he's putting extra velocity into that somehow, rather than just falling onto someone. And and that was it for the three. I was just ridiculously entertained throughout that few minutes. 
which could also be the title of my sex tape. I literally yeah, just I mean, wrote I'm... Terry Fuck like instead of Fuck because <laughs> it was like Jesus. I, I never knew he was. I know of him now, but like how old he was, and you've just answered my question. But yeah, with all it as shins on car doors or some or, or people, it, yeah, that that were awful. But fair fucks to him. Fair funks to him. <laughs> And the other thing is, today in wrestling, when people do a dive or a, you know, a move to the outside, there's seven people there waiting to catch him. And Terry Funk, you know, blocked his fall with a guardrail. You know, the, no, no one was looking at that and thinking, you know, they, they could look at the whole show and go, oh, it's fake or whatever. Or, you know, well, obviously the brawl for all the breaking noses, perhaps it's not. But the rest of it, they can say it's fake. But... You know, uh, as a, a cynical wrestling fan, I saw him hit his shins on that guardrail, and I thought it was real. Because it was fucking real. Yeah, it was real. <laughs> that, yeah. shit, that shit was there. Just talking about it, I can, I'm, I'm very, I'm acutely aware of my shins, and I just, I, I need to scratch them just thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I had this down on my list, the, just the moonsault alone, because watching this entire episode of Raw. There is not one other person does a dive to or on the outside. Mm. So it's not like it's not like today's Raw or AEW where every match has three dives on the outside. Here so. goes. This there was one, there was one in the entire match uh, in the entire episode. Sorry, and it was done by a fifty-four-year-old man who nearly broke both his legs. Incredible, <laughs> Terry Funk, what a legend. So yeah, I agree that the whole with the whole match, but that. That little moment, that moonsault was just like, what on earth are we watching here? This well, little man's trying to kill himself on telly. We know what one of Batch's awards is going to be, don't we? <laughs> and, you know, WWF had made, had made a massive thing about, you know, WCW is where the old guys are. You know, we're the young guys, we're the up-and-coming guys. But they sign one old person, and it's the perfect person to sign. And you would you'd never have come to that conclusion, but getting Terry Funkin was genius. It really was. I mean, well, just look what look at what he's doing at fifty four. I mean, the modern day equivalent now, the first person that comes to mind is Too Cold Scorpio, because he's still going. And I, I, the last time I saw him wrestle was last October, and he was in the main event of uh, GCW's for the Culture Show. I can't remember if I might have brought up this brought this up last week or if that was off air. I but, saw him last week because he was on the last episode we reviewed. So I may have mentioned it, but he was he was hitting a he was hitting like a moonsault leg drop. Uh, I think either he's either the same age or he might be fifty two, and he can still go. Yeah. It's it's just incredible, like you said. But they made a point of on commentary of say of, of mentioning his age, not in a condescending way, basically saying he's still fighting at fifty four. Good for him. So it, well, he wasn't presented as a legitimate threat. If anything, he was presented as the underdog. Yeah, definitely, and that's it. It was almost like a, a nostalgia act. But I think what, what stood out to me is, I don't know how old he was, but Sergeant Slaughter's in this episode. And I think he's a similar age to Terry Funk, and Sergeant Slaughter's stood there as like Vince McMahon goon, as an, as an old man past it. But yet Terry Funk's still throwing moonsaults out and having a competitive match with D'Lo Brown. Sergeant Slaughter was uh, was actually younger. He was fifteen, nineteen ninety eight. Wow, there we are then. But he looked like the older, washed up wrestler. 
Whereas Terry Funk's still still got game. Middle-aged and crazy. <laughs> yes. Which is going to be my sex tape. <laughs> Give me two by seconds. Well, that's the, t- my, the title of your sex tape. So, lads, are we all agreed that Terry Funk versus D'Lo Brown's going in the uh, the top five? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say so, yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. Three for three. Rob, give us something to argue about. Yeah, you might not agree with this one. Probably not, just for the sake of it. We shall see. So, the next one I'm going to put in is the Paul Ellering promo. And this is from the match. It's DOA, so Skull and Eight Ball. And they're managed by Paul Ellering. And uh, they're against the headbangers of Mosh and Frash. And really, <laughs> you can kind of ignore the match because this entire match is the Paul Ellering show. He's on commentary. Just before he sort of gets on commentary, um, they're sort of painting the picture that he's you know, been away from wrestling for a long time. He's made a fortune on the stock market. He's been living in Montana as Mr. Perfect said when the warrior came back, where uh, <laughs> all the idiots live. And he's been training for the Iditarod. And, you know, they come down on these motorbikes, and then he goes and joins commentary. And we just get nonstop through the entire match. Now, Elring says, I've come back to write the final chapter of the Legion of Doom. They were once young and once hungry. I took their talent and made them into stars. They took their talent and made themselves into stars, but they're prisoners of their own memories. All they can remember is their glory years, the years when they were the horse and I was the rider. But what happens when a horse needs to be put out to pasture? You either shoot it or you get rid of it. And he says that the time for the Legion of Doom is over. And he says, you know, look at the DOA, the the because it's uh, the Harris brothers uh, here, the, the twins, is saying, you know, they've got one mind. I only need to program one mind. They're my new um, angels of vengeance. And this whole promo comes in about how the Legion of Doom are past it in the same episode that we get Hawk coming out and looking really sad. He's got a haircut. You can't even recognize that it's Hawk. He comes out. He has a time limit drawing the Brawl for All after three rounds against Drozdov, he doesn't look that false. He looks like, you know, he is a shade of his former self. And Ellering's been cutting this promo about, you know, how the Legion of Doom are living in the past. And, you know, you look at a lot of wrestlers that sort of evolve over time, you know, like Chris Jericho, whatever, all these gimmicks. The Legion of Doom stayed in that one gimmick and they were brilliant in it but they didn't evolve and, and time passed them by. And this is what Ellering's saying and he's come to end it. And, and I just thought it was brilliant. It was a great promo. My, uh, and the, I'm, this is where my sort of thinking in wrestling is at odds with, with the goal of the actual segment because the goal of the segment wasn't to have a wrestling match. The wrestling match was there to entertain the live crowd. The TV crowd were supposed to be hanging on Ellering's every word. But much like we go back and we look at the phone calls that were happening mid-match, which distracted from the match, this, to me, distracted from, from the tag match. Not that I was particularly wanting to see DOA versus Headbangers, but you never know, it could have thrown up something good. So while it was a great promo, the, uh, I was kind of annoyed that it was distracting from what was going on in the ring 
because like you had like Mosh hitting a Hurricane Rana and floating over for the pin. So there was some, you know, stuff like that. There was there was some good work in this match that for the TV audience maybe went unnoticed. So I'm in a weird place with this one. I'm kind of torn because yes, it was a great bit of commentary and a great promo, but at the same time, it was a bit of a distraction. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'm going to read my exact notes because as Rob was speaking there, it really made me smile. My exact notes were the Harris brothers must have been absolute bastards backstage because they had everything that Vince looks for but never seemed to make it. However, Paul Ellering is amazing on the microphone here. He talks utter shit as you grip to every word. So I don't know if I'm, I'm agreeing with Rob there or disagreeing with him. <laughs> I think between and somewhere between the two of you, then, which is the match was utter shite and was completely irrelevant because all you were interested in is Paul Ellering. But I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because you know we're here for the wrestling. But I think that was the, again. I think that was the goal of the segment. The goal of the segment was to have something to watch and barely pay attention to while you listen to Ellering talk. But that yeah. kind of doesn't necessarily fit what I want from no. in, a, in a weird way because it, it's it's a great bit of story and it's you know it's a great bit of you know it, it's a great piece to a puzzle but it's not a piece that quite fit for me here if you took the promo in isolation it was fantastic yeah but it was just disjointed with the match for me yeah and and, and that's that is exactly it it's, a, it's an amazing promo and an average match but putting one over the top of the other, it kind of took away from both for me. I, I found it quite a takeaway. So at least I found one we can all disagree on. Went <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know if I do um, disagree because I, I love the promo, so I kind of agree with that. I Sorry. it didn't make no no you're not it didn't make uh, my <laughs> list just purely because I guess. To be fully ignorant, I wasn't really sure who they all were, so I wasn't that invested on with one episode. Um, obviously, I heard him talk about LOD, who were the greatest ever tag team in the world ever, apart from Young Bucks. And uh... fuck off. <laughs> um, um, but so I didn't really. I've kept quiet because I don't really have an opinion on it. But I'll die with whoever whoever needs it. <laughs> oh Christ you're going to have splinters in your ass from sitting on that fence <laughs> only on this point yeah <laughs> well I, I don't know cause this is the weird thing because Rob's brought up the promo and we're all in agreement that it's a great promo so yeah yeah, yeah. it's just we're, we're just a bit torn on everything surrounding it but is, is that the point because Rob just brought up Paul Ellering and I can't really fault anything Paul Ellering did. Even even that br- that bright pink T-shirt that said who, that said who's going to beat us or whatever, that was brilliant. Yeah, I think it, it's it's a, it's a tough one for me as well because I think the the promo is great, but the presentation was a bit weird. It just didn't fit. We can park it and come back to it after a couple of beers. I, I think people have got new beers, so I've just started a. Big Hop Red by Rascal Brewing Company. Has anyone else started anything new? Yeah, I'm on the uh, I'm on that Northern Monk OFS 036, which is the uh, 
the sort of the sweet decadent stout bit uh, Brazilian stout. Quite, it's sort of coconutty and chocolatey and just yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's really nice. It's, uh, it's it's actually it's <laughs> it's it's quite refreshing after that uh, after that maple bourbon thing that gave me the mystery slug. <laughs> I've moved on to my second generous helping of JD with a hint of ginger. So, nothing that new. I'm on a a Fanta orange, zero sugar. Brilliant. Have you ever had the Fanta grape? No, I've not. Nice. Oh, keep an eye out. Grape Fanta's fucking magic. Is that the the purple one? Because I've seen a red one. I don't like that. It's like a passion fruit one, isn't it? I think. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, great fancy. Absolutely brilliant. I'll check it out on your recommendation. I'm infringing on Jeff Cannonball's gimmick now with the, uh, the short soda reviews. <laughs> so, Batch, we're back round to you. What's your next one? Back round to me. So, my my next one was the the segment between Mark Merrow, Sable and Jacqueline. Because... It's possibly the the worst segment I've I've ever seen in my life. It made no sense. Neither of those two women can deliver dialogue, and Mark Merrow was just stood there like a lemon. My my main takeaway from it was they were accusing Sable of being frigid and not putting out in her relationship with Mark Merrow. Sable then turned around and accused Jacqueline of being easy. So the way they're going to settle it is a bikini contest, because what other logical way would you settle that debate? I think you're a slag, I think you're frigid, well then let's get our tits out and make a decision. Um, that, that is how I settle all of my arguments. <laughs> I mean, and if it works, it works, I guess, but it just didn't make sense for me. <laughs> it was just classic 90s booking, it's like, let's just get two women in there and find an excuse to put them in skimpy clothing I, I don't even remember this being good at the time or fitting at the time but looking back now it just feels so out of place it hasn't aged well but we have a count on this show of how long this Mark Marrow Sable rivalry is going on we're into month okay. month 15 of this rivalry Jeez. it might be I think it's jumping the shark at this point because what we were saying before and we've said on previous episodes about the Jerry Springer influence on uh, yeah. on Raw and wrestling in general, and they actually out. I think it's King just out and says somebody called Jerry Springer. He does. And he does. Yeah. There was the dialogue was largely terrible, but I'm a I'm just an absolute shithead for like like innuendo and dick jokes and and shit like that. And the fact that a lot of it was at Miro's expense. Was, was I actually? I actually found quite. I actually found quite entertaining. It's like you know they were going at each other a bit, but a lot of it was, particularly from Sable, was basically calling Mero a piece of shit. Which after all the crap he, he tried to pull and you know the whole possessiveness and just generally being a dick, he deserves. But the ultimate conclusion of saying, you know, oh we're gonna have a bikini contest. It's yeah. just like it completely devalues use any any sort of good that can be found in you know in the in the innuendo and the back and forth and all of that. I suppose at this point the best thing you can say about it is it was 
to women getting airtime and mic time. And that's that's sort of really clutching at straws. I mean, the, yeah. the, the positives I'm taking about this is, you know, we had Hawk on the show looking sad. Sable came out and she got the Road Warrior pop. She, she was oh, yeah. over. And the, the other thing, you know, we, we've seen sort of Sable evolve over these shows. And regardless of the actual content of the promo, the confidence she had, she has come so far, so yeah. far. On the, you know, they, they've created a legitimate star. And, you know, yeah, it, it wasn't the best night. And, yeah, the bikini contest is crazy. But, you know, and, and Jacqueline was very good on the mic as well. I mean, that's the first time we've seen her on mm. these shows. You know, as I say, take the, con- take the content out, but look at the, the confidence and the skill that they've got, that they've got, you know, two, two decent additions to the show that are, you know, the focal point of a big storyline. And, you know, that, that is the positive you can take out of it. But, yeah, a, a bikini match, it's just... It wasn't even a bikini match, it was a bikini contest. You know? Yeah. Just stand there. And, I, you know, as, as much as I agree that having, having them both there and giving camera time and dialogue is good, I can't ignore the content. And it was the content that really... <laughs> it just didn't make sense. You know, some of it was so so clunky. I think the only good line delivered was Jackie at one point says that her body is prime real estate, and Sable responds with, "Yeah, but the question is, how many times have you rented it out?" That was quite funny. That was a good line. <laughs> the rest, but the rest of that entire promo didn't make sense, and especially no. when like the the. The response that Jackie came back with after saying how many times he rented it out was something like, well, why don't you prove it? Show up for the bikini contest. Prove what? I've just said you're a slag. How was me getting my tits out? Prove that you're a slag or not? Didn't make sense. I... Yeah. And, you know, I had fond memories of Sable up until watching this show, and I'm now like, shit, was it all like this? <laughs> it definitely wasn't. We... We covered the uh, Miro and Sable promo that they had the back and forth on, on the last show that we looked at. And Sable just gave Miro a dressing down after all his possessive bullshit and jealousy and all of that. And it was fantastic. And that led into the match two weeks later where Sable actually just powerbombed Miro and just yeah. you know left him laying. So it wasn't all like that. No, and I do. I remember the, the payoff for all this. Like, I didn't realise that the Miro Sable back and forth had gone on for 15 months at this point. But I, I do remember how it ends up. I won't spoil it in case you guys are building to it. But I remember that being quite good. And so I had fond memories of this this feud, this storyline. But talk about the fact that it's gone on for this long at this point. I'm like, Jesus, maybe it wasn't that good. Maybe it was just because Sable was so fit and I was... 15 at the time that I was really into this <laughs> I'm finding out a lot about myself it's like therapy title of my sex tape do you know listen, like for anybody listening who's thinking that they could answer much it's honestly a thing of beauty listening to you three talk because it's just this you know I don't have the I don't own the vocabulary for a start but just like you've, you see stuff I often watch 
stuff and then when we talk about it, I'm really pleased like I, I noticed my highlight of you know of an actual move was Terry Funk so when the fact you all brought it up I'm like yes like I'm right I'm, I'm on the right lines but yeah listening to you for his ass so I don't have really anything to say on that segment other than I guess I found a lot of it hard a the without context you know like so some stuff worked fine you know like the the Terry Funk match, the what's it called, Dustin, pre Goldberg, no Goldberg shit, Gold Dust. God, my God, what have I done? Don't um, worry, man. They worked on their, they worked on their own, and and like you know, and then the the wider stuff like the whole episode with the Taker Mankind stuff on its own little show that was brilliant. So then I wasn't really as kind of I, I didn't know who these people were so. Uh, just listening to the king saying something about is it cold in here? It's like really like oh fuck. I, I get yeah. it was just the, well it's like the, the oldest thing in the world you know and I think is it Jr with him that just mm-hmm. kind of go yeah. you can hear him basically respond like you just did then Dan <laughs> I don't want to say it's it's not aged well because I'm not about that it was perfect for the time wasn't it. But I, I did, so like, I wasn't sure why the crowd were chanting Sable until you've explained now that that's like a long-standing thing, so they were expecting her, you know. Yeah. You're doing well, lads. Keep it up. <laughs> it's nice that you brought a cheerleader with you, Batch. <laughs> I always do, you know, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, oh, no, you know, shit, I'm talking about you two. Oh, cheers. There we go. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the Miro and Jackie uh, promo, it's not one that made that made my list. Um, and me and Rob, last week, uh, we, we we talked up Sable and obviously, you know, we, we talked a lot about the long-standing storyline. So I don't know how you, I don't know how you guys feel. It's it's another one that we can sort of stay, maybe stick with Ellering and just see, uh, see how we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. let's stick with Ellering. Yeah. yeah do, you, do you have another one, Stu? I'm just looking through my list. I don't know if I do. The only, and again, this probably won't make the list because you'll get it. But as a going back to that storyline from start to finish, like what the fuck was Edge just doing, chilling out here and there? It's like usually, unless I miss something, he was just oh. kind of sat in the crowd. And obviously, that's probably preludes to the week before, a week after, whatever. But. Yeah, just sat, sat there, and they made a big thing about it. It's been doing this for a while now, because he did this on the last episode, and uh, we're in July. Yeah, he did. We're in July now, and uh, that was back in April. So I don't know if they were trying to get a, a sting vibe out of him. Um, I didn't know. What, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't notice Edge on the last episode we reviewed. Well, at what point was Edge at that? Was he tag team? Oh, no, this is know. when they were just bringing him in. On his ah, own. okay, that uh, makes right. It's a proper early, early edge, and this is how they sort of brought him in as this mysterious guy. It's like a vamp. He wasn't a full vampire gimmick, but he was like a like this guy hides in the shadows and he's also up in the almost up in the rafters. Like Sting, yeah. Police. But yeah, I, re- I remember it went on for ages, just like <sighs> it, it got. It was the first one for me that got a little bit boring, and I love Edge. I'm a massive fan of his, but I do remember at the time being like. <sighs> Bother this guy now. All he does is sit up there and watch. I could do that. 
I am doing that. And had it been on, <laughs> had it been on other companies before that, then did you know who he was, or was he just completely yeah. green? Right. Didn't quite have the same gravitas as Sting not speaking for a year, did it? No, no, not quite. No, it, it was yeah the the Poundland Sting, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even Poundland. It was it was when you go into a supermarket at the end of the night and they've got like you've got like a whole roast chicken for twenty p. <laughs> Yeah, just what I wanted. So I, I guess we're maybe maybe leaving that one as well for uh, want to debate for later if we're not coming to a consensus about uh, Edge. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan, what's your next one? My next one. I wanted to talk about Ken Shamrock. He was mentioned before, and uh, I, I alluded to them having massive plans for Shamrock, and he almost almost bookended the show. He was in the third segment where he was in a match versus Jeff Jarrett. Uh, fuck Jeff Jarrett, just as a side note, because uh, we all know <laughs> of my uh, my irrational hatred of Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> the so you know you got Shamrock versus Jarrett. Shamrock's just coming off of uh, winning King of the Ring where he beat The Rock. So his stock is just so high at the minute, and he, he starts the match hot. He's hitting the big strikes. He's hitting the heel kicks. He's clotheslining Jarrett out of the ring. We see Edge. Then it even just stuff like rolling through with the heel hook for the ankle lock and and all of that. And it's it's going it, it just goes sort of typical attitude era in that you have a match that's just getting going, they exchange sleepers and a back suplex, and then Mabel's out. I think this is the first time we've seen him since our uh, since the first episode we recorded with Mags, which I think was the fourth episode. Yeah, he's been he's been away for a while. In actual fact, this was a, a one-night-only appearance from Mabel. So I think he'd left company full-time in 96, and we're not going to see him back full-time till next year at this point. So this is a one-night-only uh, appearance. And I, I thought that was great. I mean, how, how good would it be to get one-night-only appearances from wrestlers in the current product? You know, you've got yeah, something to pay for. Yeah, and I was just going to say the wider context of Mabel coming back, because Shamrock had beaten two other wrestlers, Triple H and I can't remember who else, but it was a King of Kings match. It was three King of the, uh, King of the Ring winners. Shamrock beat them, and Mabel's coming in and interfered in this match because he's a former King of the Ring and wasn't considered. Mm-hmm. So he's this giant dude coming in, pissed off, takes out one of the hottest rising stars, and then we end up with a match later on. And it's the it's the semi main event, pretty much. And uh, <laughs> a bit of disrespect to Mabel. Later on, he gets the jobber entrance. Shamrock comes out after Kings oversold it and said he, he, all his ribs might be broken and all of that. <laughs> but Mabel does exactly what you what you do after a five hundred pound guy has just dropped on someone. You go straight to the ribs. He goes to the ribs. He hits big shots. He hits the shoulder block. He's there in the middle of the ring, roaring, "I'm the king." You know, and hitting a big elbow drop, and he misses the clothes. Like he catches Shamrock on the crossbody. And Shamrock's—he's not the biggest of dudes in general, but he's jacked, and just he catches him like a child. You know, hits the big slam, misses the charge into the corner. There's Shamrock. You know, hits a flying elbow. He has the comeback. Mabel just dominates again with a clothesline and a big slam, and then he Mabel fucks himself over by trying to go from the second rope. Shamrock dodges it, locks in the ankle lock for the submission. 
So in the, it, it's a bit like um, for that nineties wrestling podcast, Rob. We uh, we looked at Roddy Piper Bret Hart, where they made a massive issue off one promo on the night and made an enthralling match. I'm not saying this is on the same level, but they've had Mabel come back at the start of the show, make an issue, uh, you know, state you know stake his claim. The commentary have sold it. They've come back later in the night. Shamrock's gone over, looked, you know, been made to look strong as anything. And their next big star is even, even he was off to the races anyway, but now he's leading by a few lengths. If we're going in the horse racing parlance, I just thought it was, it was a really, really just smart thing to do. Yeah, it was, and a bit like what Rob said, a, a great use of a talent that you're only going to use for one night. They got two good, two impactful segments out of him. Yes, the match. I think the match. I actually went back and timed it because I couldn't believe how short it was. It was only like two minutes long. Mm. The match they actually had, but it also delivered one of my favourite lines of the night from the King. When my when Mabel was first climbing to the ring, he, he said something like, "What is this? Is that a fan?" It's like, no, mm. it's a six foot eleven, six hundred pound dude. Behemoth. No, that's not a fan. <laughs> yeah, no, that 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 ain't a fan kid. <laughs> It just it just tickled me because when he said it, I was like, uh, even if I didn't know who that was, there's no part of me thinking, yeah, that's one of us. It Science. is America. True. I'm allowed to say that I'm also a fat. I was meaning more like, like six foot eleven. I mean, this I was, I was good for that height. <laughs> <laughs> Plus the bleach blonde mohawk. It's like there there ain't many people look like that walking around. It wasn't it wasn't bleach blonde at this point. It was like was this. It no. I see. I've, I've, I've imagined that from later on. No, let's Spoiler be honest. Alert. Even if it was a fan, <laughs> who's going to take him on? <laughs> Go yeah, wrestle exactly. that buff. Yeah. I didn't know him, Mabel. Neither did I personally. No, did you not? Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> no, no. Not, not somebody that ever became great friends with, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, and, and Ken Shamrock. He's the only person I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna be talking to the choir or not here, but on WWE Supercard, the game, he was the first, the only one on there. I'm like, who the fuck is Ken Shamrock? Really? Yeah, and because you know, I dipped in and out, but I, I missed the attitude here. And it seems like Ken was, you know, like you said, massive then, but he's like never come back. So, you know, some people that I know from the attitude era, obviously still involved so like mm. when i saw ken shamrock i'm like oh, is this some nxt gazer or something you know because the picture was of him young and so yeah is it, it would you would you say he's up there or was he short-lived what he was well this is 98 he's been in i think i don't know when he made his debut it can't have been it's much, it can't have been much past uh, 97 so he's been in for maybe a year a year and a bit at this point and he was Pretty much gone by 2000, 2001. Okay. But he, he after that he went to he, he he was part of the sort of the inaugural years of TNA, and he became the NWA TNA champion and all of that. He, he was part of the the foundation of that company. I don't know much of what he did in uh, in subsequent years after he stepped away from TNA. Didn't you go back to MMA? Because I was always quite yeah. surprised that he'd come from MMA. And then he'd wrestled, and then I'm pretty sure he went back. Which, yeah, I think he might have done. Yeah, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure he did because he's still fighting now. 
he's 50 odd now I think he might be 54 so the same age that Funk was during this episode and uh, he's been taking participating in like bare knuckle fights and, and shit like that and he's still in tremendous shape and he's actually not long coming off his latest run with uh, with Impact Wrestling who uh, that that's what TNA became he's just going in their Hall of Fame hasn't he as well I think yeah. that was either last year or year before was it but yeah he did he went back to uh, MMA because I think he switched from MMA to wrestling due to the fact there was no money in MMA at the time. I think he'd, he'd done basically all he could in America and gone over to Japan and fought there and really reached the peak. Uh, so he switched to wrestling for the money. And then obviously, in the time period he was out of it, UFC got hot, started making money. So he, he flipped back once, once the wrestling experiment died out. But I, I always liked him. He had zero charisma, but yeah, he just seemed legit. He was just one of those wrestlers that you looked at and were like, yeah, yeah you know what? <laughs> I believe everything that's occurred in that ring. It's because he, he had that Lesnar element of it. Well, yeah, that's it. He had that Lesnar element of, you know what? If anyone actually connects and pisses him off, I don't, I don't like the chances. <laughs> this is going to be This badly. is a perfect opportunity to bring up Steve Blackman. <laughs> Yay! There we go. It's, no, no, just a, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a quick, um, it's a, just a quick sidebar because we talked about the brawl for all and Shamrock being a legit fighter and and he was the toughest. One of my favourite stories, and it, it, Rob reminded me of it earlier when he said about JBL wanting to prove that he's the toughest. JBL, this, this is so I've read uh, read on the interwebs, so take it with a pinch of salt, and I must say that this is all alleged. Apparently, once that JBL was giving uh, Steve Blackman some shit in an airport. And JBL was, it was early in the morning. JBL hadn't been to bed. He was still drunk from the night before. And apparently JBL is one of these guys who, he, he's, a, he's a button pusher. You know, he, he likes to see how far he can, how far he can go and how much he can get away with. It turns out not a lot with Steve Blackman. Because uh, JBL was talking shit, I would kick the shit out of him and all that. And Blackman was like, just look, just fuck off. But Bradshaw kept pushing, kept pushing. So Steve Blackman just laid him out in the airport. Just said, fine, right, we're going to fight right now. Go for it. And uh, JBL went for it and he was left on the floor in uh, in a puddle. And apparently Blackman had to be uh, had to be dragged off him because Bradshaw had been pissing him off for that long. He just wanted to murder him. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that tale as well. And I also heard that a few months later, JBL claimed that the only reason Blackman beat him was because he was drunk, tired, and he'd taken advantage. And Blackman offered him outside again and said, well, come on then. We're both yeah. wide awake and ready to go now. And JBL was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but this is a man, but Steve Blackman, and this is partially in response to uh, what now, what would now be about six weeks ago on, uh, on the other channel, where there was some uh, Steve Blackman slander on Bang Bang. And uh, just say what you want about him as a wrestler. Yeah, he didn't have the most charisma. It took Al Snow and a fake head and so a bit of cheese to get him, you know, to give him some personality. But this is a man who was so tough, he contracted like some form of super malaria in South Africa. And it cost him, I think, I can't remember if it was five or seven years of his wrestling career because he was just so ill. And he was basically sleeping. This was, you know, back in the 90s when it wasn't as easy to fly from South Africa back to the States as it would be now. He was having to like have layovers everywhere and sleep on airport floors and just he was basically all he was doing was sleeping, drinking water, sweating and, and vomiting and getting on planes. And he got home still. He's a supremely tough bloke. 
Yeah, that's it. another one like as you just said, like Shamrock, about as much charisma as my headphones, but you could just tell he could back it up. He just he didn't have to have the charisma. You, you saw him go to the ring, and you're like, yeah, this guy's legit. <laughs> Way to bring it back to Shamrock. I like that. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, you were talking about with respect to the Blackman dude. He wasn't on the he wasn't on this episode, but he was the guy who beat. Mark Marrow in the brawl for all the week before, which is why right. they had the promo this week right. to well, be yeah. like, "Oh, I only lost because Jacqueline screwed my brains out." Yeah, obviously. And then, yeah, if you just pretend back to just brought it back to Shamrock, that'd be ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, mentioned, he mentioned Shamrock, so we're back to my original point. Yeah. <laughs> We've all mentioned Shamrock at one point, I think. Maybe not. Right. In order. <laughs> So do we think Shamrock Mabel should go on the combined list? Oh, well, it's not it's not Shamrock Mabel, it, it's Shamrock bookend it's like Shamrock almost bookending the show. I think I think Mabel goes in with him though. I mean Yeah, Mabel's part of it. Yeah. Right, so we've got four at the moment. The ones we've put a pin in are the Paul Erwin promo, Sable, Mark Marrow, and Edge sat in the crowd. We've gone through my five. So do you have another one, Batch, that we haven't covered yet? I mean, it's, it's, this is a bit more of an obscure one. But I, have, I had one that we, we've touched on already in the show. But just Mick Foley, full stop. The fact that this is so close to King of the Ring, where he should have died. I think he did die. Um, and somehow come back to life in the show. And the fact he's still walking, fairly. Sure. The fact the fact he was involved in, I think, three different segments here. He was involved in the first segment. He came out and interfered in a match. And he yeah. was involved in that last match and took that chair shot. And um, he was in the uh, he was in the Vince promo as well. So it was it was four segments. Four yeah. segments. Uh, I mean, and he shouldn't uh, have been alive at this point. Never mind walking and actively involved in a wrestling show. So. I, I th- that was my number five was Mick Foley, full stop. Uh, sorry, Ma- yeah, Mick Foley, full stop. Mankind, whatever you want to call him, what a legend. He shouldn't have been alive, and he was able to to perform pretty well. He delivered lines. I still don't think he knew what planet he was on at this point, and that chair shot didn't help. Because <laughs> even though I'm sure the Undertaker worked it safe and hit the steps and not his head, that's still going to be pretty loud. That's going to ring your bell. <laughs> That that promo from Vince almost seemed legit, you know, where we were thanking him for, because from what I understand of, it was Hell in a Cell, wasn't it? Not King in the Ring, just to. It was a Hell in a Cell that. match at, yeah. King of, at the King of the oh, Ring okay. show. I never yeah. knew that. There we go. You know, because reports that Vince wouldn't ever, he, he wouldn't sign that off, would he? So like the fact that he's, he's legitimately saying thanks for putting your life on the line. But equally, like you said, the fact he was involved so much was almost like, thanks, but fuck you as well. <laughs> and he, you know, you're not having a rest type thing. It was a thank you to the man and a fuck you to the character. The story I like about that hell of a set match is, allegedly, and this I could be wrong, but up until that point, Vince had a, a bit of a thing with the, the superstars where he would never ask them to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. So he would always perform every high-risk move, every ridiculous stunt beforehand. And allegedly, that was the first one 
ever that Vince was like, I ain't doing that shit. If, <laughs> if you want to do that, Mick, crack on, pal, but I am having nothing to do with it. Uh, and I love that story that Vince looked at, looked at the Hell in a Cell, looked at Mick and like, nah, you're all right, pal. Well, uh, Vince is definitely like that, because even to this day. And we saw that with uh, last year at WrestleMania 36, because they had uh, Rob Gronkowski hosting it. Obviously, Gronk's not a wrestler, and they wanted him to do a dive off off this platform, which was it was a way up. You know, it was probably about ten foot, something like that. And they wanted him to do a dive, and Gronk was uncertain. And Vince just went, "No, come on, I'll I'll show you how it's done." And seventy seventy odd year old. That was on the 24th thing, wasn't it? I remember seeing that. Yeah, like, it was, yeah. yeah. He was just like, get out where I'll show you, like, yeah. fair fucks to him, yeah. Also, Rob, we need to start commissioning Steve-O for Vince impressions that we can splice into the show. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Vince just got out on the on the, on the, on the ledge, on the edge of this thing. I think he was still in his suit and just dove yeah, off onto a did, crash yeah. mat and just went, fuck it. Here's how you do it. And he's, I mean, Christ, he's at an age now where, where most people are, like, bruised for days if they're stub the toe yeah yeah so i mean rob what, what do you reckon can we uh because we've done this for two weeks previously of like just kind of shoehorning well not even shoehorning but just coming to a conclusion that we love mick foley above all else and anything else <laughs> I've, anything I've, else that we we're considering just like goes in mick foley just trumps it i think it has to go in because he got a skittle slam of the week with going through that cage it wasn't just <laughs> you know, we love an advert on this show uh, you know, I mean, you know, I was talking about how Sables come on. I mean, you know, Mick Foley was always great, but the the evolution we've seen on him, those promos about you know being mankind, the evolution to do love, coming back to being mankind, you know, he, he he's, he's just great on any show he's on, and I'm more than happy to put Mick Foley on our top five. Uh, we're gonna have to rename we're gonna have to rename the podcast we're no longer unbooking the territory we're no longer utt we are mas we are the mankind appreciation society maybe we could just use this catchphrase what what was it bang bang uh, i think no i highly doubt i highly doubt we can use that i think some like b-level podcast that masqueraders half decent even though it's just drunken rambling bullshit's probably already taken that name yeah, that's a shame. Oh, I think you just described everything I've ever done. Hang on a minute. Whoa, that, that feels like a duck. <laughs> Mate, I've, descri- I've described my life for the past 15 years. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say one of the things there where normal people wouldn't admit it, but I've only just realised you've managed to use the UTT as a, as the podcast. It's only just dawned on me because of the Huddersfield reference. So well done. And it ain't just shoe on. It ain't just like stupid words. It's... Very clever, well done. Yeah, and and it, and if we can rely on other teams losing, we're gonna we're gonna stay up. So up the terriers. So we've got our top five here. We've got brawl for all slash the Brackers versus uh, Salvio Vega. We've got fake Kane. We've got D'Lo Brown versus Terry Funk. We've got the Shamrock slash Mabel, and we've got Mick Foley, but just basically being Mick Foley. So just for existing. Quite literally, just for existing, because he was alive after taking those bumps. What are we going to do next week when we're covering Nitro, Dan? Um, we're going to go back and we're going to shoehorn Cactus Jack versus Vader from 1991 into the show, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Just just, just mention all the way through, wouldn't that have been better, though, with Mick Foley involved? 
I mean, this promo was good, but if Mick had delivered it, <laughs> thing is as well when you know that infamous thing after he's after he's taken the bump off the off the cell and he's gone through the top of the cell and he's in the corner and he looks to the camera and his mouth's bloody. He looks like shit, and the commentators are saying that he's smiling. He's smiling. Yeah, he wasn't smiling. He was trying because when he got choked on through the top of the cell, a chair hit him in the face, split his lip, so he had a hole in his bottom lip, and one of his teeth ended up in his nose. And you can actually see it when you watch the footage back. There's a little like white speck in one of his nostrils, which it's not the 1980s, so it's not cocaine. But it, it is like it is legitimately a shard of tooth, or the whole tooth in his nose. And he's trying to push his tongue through the hole in his lip. That's why it looked like he was smiling. What a man. Crazy. Well, I think it's time for an ad break. So we'll go for all the ads that were covered on the show. So we get an ad for WWF The Music Volume 2. I'm sick of hearing about this album now. I know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the musical for a minute then. I was like, I, didn't, I don't remember that. I don't watch that. WWF <laughs> The Musical. I think uh, I think a knockoff version did uh, did a tour of very small theatres in England in the late two thousands. <laughs> I'd have definitely gone to Keefer Victoria Hall to see that. Definitely. The show was sponsored by Skittles, and Skittles advertising's all over this one. But it's um, not the same without JR's orgasm. It's not. It's not. The live tour is going to the Pepsi Arena in Albany, and you have a chance to meet Al Snow and Head. No, I'm all right. I just realised you were talking about ads, ads for that show. I thought you meant for the podcast. I was like, well done. Sponsors by Skittles, yeah. Yeah, we've already yeah, yeah, we've, check. Got, we've, we've got a series of live shows coming up in the States. <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 what what match? I remember that uh, the the Al Snow and Head in Albany, and they must have mentioned it five times over the top of one of the matches. Was it? Was it Double J and Shamrock? Yeah, I, I, I thought I made a note of it, but I haven't done. And it was just like, there's two guys having a pretty good match here, and all you're talking about is a live event in Albany where the headbangers, Al Snow and Head, are appearing. Right, it was, it was, it was, it was like, one guy having a good match anything. in Jeff Jarrett. Sorry, yeah, that's right. <laughs> was that not the same match where they had the, the overlay of the um, JVC boombox? Yeah, that, no, that's coming that... as well. Sorry, so, sorry. Well, we get we get two replays of Mick Foley going through the cage. One sponsored by Skittles, and one sponsored by the JVC Kaboom Box, which they were is fucking a amazing dual subwoofer with fifty-two watts of power. Yeah, battery powered. A lad used to have one in village, and they were absolutely insane. So stuck it in his car, boot of his car <laughs> as a cheap system. It, they were ace. <laughs> Superb. So not many adverts on the show, but at least we've got a Kaboom box. In terms of adverts we've had for the show, Steve from that disreputable podcast in Bristol said that said that don't listen to what uh, UTC podcasts say about beer because we're just gimmick infringers. Steve can fuck off. Anybody who's trying to live a gimmick's just a bit sad. Yeah. It's not a gimmick, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> we had Danny at Scottish Juggalo um, said that uh, we had some good insight about Mark Marrow being uh, books poorly from day one. This is just when it's dropping, but Mark Marrow's in the back at uh, WrestleMania, so that, that's 15 months ago. I love Scottish Danny. 
Good Cop, Bad Cop wrestling pod said that we were in their lacrosse practice playlist. So Now, I don't know if that means that Graham was watching it while the kids were at lacrosse practice or Graham was listening to us while playing lacrosse. I hope it was the first because the second sounds quite dangerous. Um, I, I've got this image of him running around listening to us while he's playing lacrosse. Just getting generally angry at what we're talking about and, and just like mullering people. It's like a Val Venus yeah. match. There were balls flying at his head. And... <laughs> yeah, we never brought just, those, did we, thankfully? No, he's just, just raging on people because he loves Jeff Jarrett and the more he slate and the more pissed off he gets, he's just taking people out on the lacrosse pitch. While wearing that Jarrett t-shirt that says, don't piss me off. Exactly, yeah. And at McFerkin Mark on the Burial Ground podcast uh, put us over this week and that was a bit of a miracle because his entire uh, two-hour show was uh, about burying people, so I thought we were going to get included, but at the end he said we were all right, so I think we escaped that one. Much appreciated, Matt. Thank you. Excellent. So now we're through to the awards section of the show, so Batch, who would you give Match of the Night to? Right, Match of the Night. I went for, and I know I slated it actually earlier on, but DOA versus the Headbangers. I thought as far as tag matches go in this era, it was quite good. There was no story leading into it for those two teams. But I thought Dan called it out. There were some really good athletic manoeuvres from the headbangers, which is you know what they were capable of. The DOA did what they do best. They looked like big, strong badasses. Unfortunately, the, the epic promo from Ellering kind of overshadowed it. But if you if you muted it and watched the match, I thought there was some good action. Plus, the rest of the matches for me were shite, which was a <laughs> big, uh, the, the biggest point. It was the best for Bad Bunch. I wasn't going to pick Brawl for all. I don't know. I'm, I'm undecided between the last segment, the last the triple triple threat, but actually just how good the, the, the Terry Funk match was. You know, we spoke about it and. And and as always, Batch pointed something out that I'd not even considered that like it was literally the only move outside of the ring the whole show, which is just insane. And and like you said, there weren't seven, eight guys waiting to catch him, just a metal barrier to break his fall in his fucking shin. <laughs> just <laughs> just to reiterate that. So I, I, I put that as match of the night. Yeah, that that was my match of the night as well. I mean, it's it's always great just to see Terry Funk, but yeah, he, he had a really good showing uh, on this event. I've got two down, and I've been trying to think of it through through the whole show. And one is there because of the sort of the spectacle it was, and how su- how surprising it was that I was entertained by it. And the other is Funk versus Dilo. So I'm torn between Savio Vega versus Bracus or Terry Funk versus Dilo Brown. But I think I'm, I've got to go with Funk versus D'Lo because that was a wrestling match. <laughs> so, you know, as much as, like, I actually, looking back on it, the Brawl for All, again, terrible idea, stupid concept. Vega versus Brackus was entertaining, but, yeah, it's Funk versus D'Lo. That, that few minutes yeah. of Terry Funk being middle-aged and crazy, the storyline elements that wove into the match with D'Lo's chest protector, yeah, it has to be. And then, like we've said... Funk absolutely destroying his shins. It was insane. So, easily the best match of the night for me. Excellent. 
So, Bats, what did give you a moment of the night? Or? Uh, my moment of the night was the moonsault in that match. That just hands down. It was insane for so many reasons, but it stood out as well because it was the only ridiculous outside move of the evening instead of being just standard. Fair enough. Stu, what do you go for? Michael Cole's goatee. I'd never seen... <laughs> I'd literally never seen Michael Cole outside of the last 10, 15 years. So I was like, oh, there's another guy called Michael Cole here. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's him. Like, just nuts. But yeah, his goatee were pretty special. So that was my highlight. Moment. Well, yeah, maybe we need to have a facial haircut of the night. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going with Batch. Mine was Terry Funk popping off the moonsault. In fact, yeah, it was the moonsault to the outside and the one in the ring. And I've tied them both because they were both both just insane. At that age, to be doing that, and, and to my knowledge, um, Funk had never really bothered with moonsaults before. He just decided in his 50s to start doing backflips. Brilliant. Yeah, it's <laughs> insane, isn't it? That he had these yeah. evolutions of his character. He went from a standard wrestler to a hardcore wrestler, and then he's like, ah, fuck it, let's go high-flying. You know, yeah, he's, he's still with us, isn't he, Mr. Funk? He is he's still, he's still, still moonsaulting. <laughs> he's retired he's right there, times this week. He, he's famous. <laughs> I think he retired first in like you know 1983 or something ridiculous. He just keeps wow. retiring yeah. and then coming back. My moment of the night is going for the fake Kane reveal of The Undertaker. I mean, it's a classic moment of the Attitude Era. I've got to go for it. and. For all that I, you know, remember that happening and whatever, I forgot like the lead up to it. So even still had the shock again of seeing it. So you know, that, I thought that was brilliant. So who would you give your MVP of the night to Batch? Well, no surprise after one of the previous segments, but Mick Foley just for being alive. I know he he didn't particularly do a lot, but the fact that he was conscious, walking, and able to continuous storyline in that during that night given what he'd recently gone through what a hero he is so uh, he was my MVP yeah it's always great to see Mick Fowler I think I would 100% agree with him but without the context of Hell in the Cell Dan mentioned it Ken, Ken Shamrock you know how almost bookended you know and he had a good segments could tell Telly was ready for like being built up, so I'm going to give it to Big Kenneth. Big oh. Kenneth. <laughs> you could ask him what the frequency was. Who was your MVP, Dan? I've gone a little bit different with my MVP, and it's going to amaze people because I'm not actually going to pick any segment involving Kane for any of my awards tonight. But my MVP actually goes to again to a commentator, and it's Jr. Because King, every time King tried to pull some of his bullshit, JR was there with a disdainful and dismissive remark. And it was actually quite refreshing that nobody was entertaining it, because up until now, we've not really had anybody who's basically just told King to fuck off. And that's what JR did throughout this. King had start and start and start. And JR, it, it wasn't like Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, where Gorilla's kind of playing up to it, going, will you stop? 
it was more like even when he's trying to make his shit jokes, JR's there with like a dry, sarcastic, yeah, he first used that one in 1973 and just completely undermining and dismissing King's bullshit. I mentioned but, it with the, the ridiculous cold comment, you know. It, yeah, yeah, completely. You know, King's it, it's the whole bullshit King thing where, at that time where he was giving it all the all the crap about puppies and you know acting like uh, acting like uh, you know an excited teenager when he's in his fifties and shit like that. It just it wasn't entertaining at the time, and it's really not entertaining now. I find King really relatable. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I was worried for a second there. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. Jr. Jr. was on point in this episode. He completely shot him down. Yeah, so, so, was needed. <laughs> there's proof right there that even after a bottle of Jack Daniels, he can't get on the same wavelength as Jerry Lawler. <laughs> <laughs> A question about that was was it kind of widely known that it was just a bit of a prick, or was it a character, or was it? I'm guessing not because it was just uh, awful yes. bit of everything. Yeah, there's been many. Um, I must I must stress for libel purposes that that to my knowledge, Jerry Lawler has never been convicted of anything. But right, there have always been. There's always been sort of tiptoeing around it, rumour and innuendo, okay. shall we say. And even to the point where AJ Lee once said on commentary, I'm 26, I'm a little too old for you, Jerry. Wow. And this was in the 2010s. Yeah. And I'll I'll just leave it at that. Because yeah. Americans like to sue. Well, my MVP of the night is Paul Ellering, because I loved that promo. I know everyone else wasn't. Well, you all did like the promo. You thought he killed the segment, but I thought it was great. Love that. It was good. It, this is the thing. It was good. And if they'd have done that backstage or just stood in the ring with the Harris brothers looking mean, maybe have LOD run out, try and fight them, and DOA beat, you know, beat them down or whatever. Almost any other setting, it would have been absolute gold. So, yeah, you, you're half right. Was, I just realised the name. Is that Paul Ellerin that was with that really good tag team recently that just got buried? Uh, what they're called? Yes. AOP? Yeah. They've ah. been released. Have they? Yeah, yeah, a little while back. They went from, yeah, they uh, were, they went from, they? Paul, they went from Paul Ellerin to Drake Maverick. That was it, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I love Drake Maverick, rock star, but he, he's fantastic, but just it just didn't quite fit, did it, on the main roster? Yeah. No, I think they, no. they were seen on camera once with Kevin Owens. And then someone got injured and that died as well. So, yeah. 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 Yes, the same Paul Ellering. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the next award is the Rene Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night. So, who would you give hair, Haircut of the Night to Batch? Just to me, because what the f- was going on there? <laughs> and, and it's the same haircut he had through, Who's I think, that? his entire run. The guy with, that was in the brawl for a match against uh, Road Warrior Hawk. LOD. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Some weird going on on top, some around the sides. A beard trying to tie into it. It, it was like he'd cut his hair in the dark with like the the school play safe scissors. Um, he stood out. He stood out. <laughs> 
Stu, what's, who's your haircut of the night? Well, it went to the, the I'm back in a ginger girl in crowd, mainly for the look on her face when it was the Val Venus bit and it was like, they were obviously trying to find <laughs> find looks on faces that supported it and her look was just like, fuck off. And yeah, <laughs> so, and, and you got back the gingers, so her, I don't know her name, but I'm sure you can get her on podcast. Wasn't that this Yamaguchi Sam? No, she was sat next to her. All ah, right. You're famous for picking people in the crowd, Dan, as well. So, so who's your haircut of the night? Right. So, my haircut of the night goes to the person sat in row Q, <laughs> seat seventy-three. No, I've actually gone for somebody who did appear in ring, but may have gone under the radar slightly. And I, for the first time ever, I'm giving the Rene Goulet Award to the ring announcer. Tony Chimmel, because he was rocking a very subtle mullet. Very subtle. He had he had the he had a little bit of length at the back. It wasn't you know it was a little bit of business at the front. So yeah, just for just for still rocking a a subtle mullet in 1998, it's uh, it's Tony Chimmel for me. Yeah, representing. I like it. I'm gonna go with Road Warrior Hawk, and the reason is that haircut looked like he was in witness protection. You couldn't even recognise him. <laughs> it was oh, man, that it made it made me sad. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, yeah just talk, talk in general that. made me sad. You know, but yeah, his haircut just topped it off. It, it, it was like I, I think Hawk would have come third at a Hawk lookalike competition the way he looked this way. He was he was one guy where you were talking about wrestling conspiracies earlier and people being replaced. I had to actually pause at different points the match just to see just to check the facial features and looking for like any vague hint of a moustache and just imagine looking at his face and imagine him going well and (laughs) it was just yeah oh man it was i mean and and not to not to bring the sort of the mood down but the, the doubly sad thing with hawk is i don't know if we're past or just about to get to the point where they start to bring his real life issues into storyline which just about to get to it. Yeah, just, I just, I just felt so bad for the guy. Really did. Yeah, if if, if I remember rightly, I think we don't see him for a while now because he's broken nose, and then when mm. he comes back, it's the whole suicide of the Titan Trump. and the alcohol <laughs> issues and all the yeah. rest of it. Sad times. Fortunately, we'll be on nitro when that's happening. I'm uh, hoping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So, back. What would you give sign of the night to? So, I, I, I'm gonna be honest. Here, I've cheated here. I've, I've just dropped it in the chat so you can all see it. I've actually gone for a T-shirt that Dan mentioned earlier, which is Paul Elrings. Who's gonna beat us? T-shirt. But with his suspenders on, it actually says, who's going to eat us? And <laughs> I, re- I remember seeing this as a 15-year-old and laughing. And when I re-watched it, I was like, oh, shit, yeah. Who's going to eat us? And so Paul Ellering's bright pink, who's going to eat us t-shirt. Nice. Um, just because it's still funny for me, whatever it is now, 23 years later. <laughs> made me chuckle. Well done. <laughs> That's excellent. What are you going for? Well, I've got a few screenshots that I just want to just refer to because I was <laughs> I, I was shocked. Like, 
I think it was just the, the whole concept of, right, I'm going to take a sign. I might be on Raw. What can we do? Right. So I'm going to go with the, the one that made me laugh, which was Terry Funk is my real dad. Because, you know. <laughs> I didn't even see that. <laughs> yeah. I had to screen it because it was right next to one that just said, I have gas. So it was. <laughs> but, yeah, Terry Funk is my real dad. I don't remember Please. being at, I don't remember being at that show holding an eye. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, and just some really awful signs that I just thought, you know, you've gone to some effort there. The one Vince is the stupidest sob. I mean, I don't think that was deliberately ironic. Like stupidest. There you go. Terry Funk is my real dad. Fair enough. The only time I've ever really noticed signs of them I say modern the past 10 15 years I always remember I don't even think it was pay-per-view I think it was raw there was when obviously Beth Phoenix were around and some dude just had I'd, I'd rather be in Phoenix and I just remember it and they removed it halfway through the show they removed the guy you could see him so yeah you know pun intended sign of the times Anyway, back to my sign of the night. There were, I'm going to do what I always do and jump the gun uh, for Rob and, and just run down a few of the ones that I saw that I quite enjoyed before I get my main one. Just in the Shamrock Jarrett match that I saw, I noticed somebody holding an I hate Stone Cold sign. And I can only assume that Vince told Shane to go stand in the crowd. <laughs> in the Bradshaw versus Vader match, there was a close-up of a Vader for President sign. Saw that one. Okay, uh, I'm not sure what his qualifications are, but but just behind the Vader for President sign, somebody had taken the time, God bless him, my hero, they drew Kane on a sign, and that very nearly became my sign of the night. In that same match, this shows how much attention I was play, uh, paying, there was a, a Vince Fears shampoo sign. <laughs> which I'm not quite sure, because Vince always had really immaculate hair. Just a couple more. There was Val Viagra's poster child, Venus. That was a sign. A little bit wordy. I saw um, one that said Venus Envy. To, to, to see, go that's, quite, that. that's quite amusing. Yeah. That's quite amusing. There was a, a Vince Creates Bischoff Copies sign, which should be topical for the show. But for the second week in a row, I'm going for one that is really on brand. And it was the four lads who took a sign each. One had a cap. One had a, a capital B. Two of them had capital E's, and one had a capital R. And it was just four dudes that just said beer. Brilliant. Fair enough. Fair play, boys. Just on that Vader for president sign, I got in a little bit of trouble this week on Twitter because I'd uh, tweeted out about uh, AEW getting um, ratings on under a million, and I think eighteen of the shows that they actually went. Head-to-head against NXT, they got higher ratings than they did this week. And a lot of Americans pointed out to me that that was because AEW was up against a uh, a message from the president. And I just think it's outrageous that we didn't get that Jack Tunney promo in this country. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. But my sign of the night, and this was a reversible sign, uh, and it's just, what does it mean? On one side, it said... Tim the Jacket Boy is God. Who's Tim, Tim the Jacket Boy? Why is he God? Why has he got a jacket? Who, who knows? And is, then he, the, is he the God of Jackets? He could be. Who knows? But then on the other side of it, 
when they flipped it round, it said Vince McMahon fears the jacket boy. (laughs) 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 That's the the 1998 equivalent of playing a heel on Twitter. There's just levels to that. Who, who is Tim? Why is he a jacket boy? And why does Vince McMahon fear him? It's sign of the night for me, that one. Is Tim trying to steal our jackets? I think he's stolen Vince McMahon's jacket and Vince McMahon's fearing it because he knows it's going to be cold when he goes outside. Although the show is in the middle of July, so probably doesn't need a jacket. He's a, shit t- he's a shittily timed jacket burglar. <laughs> Vince also needs his jackets. Where else is he going to put his shoulder pads? <laughs> so batch what would you rate the show out of 10 i'm going to stick to my roots and, and be fairly harsh here i was disappointed overall I, i'm i'm gonna give it a six yeah i enjoyed elements but overall i was left a little flat it could be to do with the fact that there was quite a large segment cut out of it thanks to peacock and sensibilities. But yes, a six overall for me. I think a six is a good review, to be honest. It's above average. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. If, if, if I got was... to start 10 on an exam, I'd be happy. Um, <laughs> no, I was too generous. <laughs> I'd, I'd be quite happy. You know, you say, you're a six out of 10. I'll take that. Take that. that, that that's the best compliment I've ever had. Another great sex tape title. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I was going to go, when you said you were going half batch, I was expecting half that. I I would have gone a four, but with the strength of the, the end segment, it, it was a six for me as well. Yeah, it was a brilliant end segment. What would you go, Dan? Monologue time. I don't know if that picks <laughs> up on the mic, but that was me trying to crack my knuckles and only one went. So for the matches, they were slightly improved on recent weeks. Mainly because of the uh, the brawl for all and uh, and Terry Funk being a crazy fucker, but it's still it's still only a five and a half out of ten for me. I, I couldn't in good conscience give it a six. It was barely above average. Promos were actually slightly down on on previous weeks for me, so I gave them a six and a half. Uh, for for all we've talked about it, uh, the, the the Sable and Jackie back and forth, I found quite amusing because I'm, I'm I've got a very childish sense of humour, so I like all the innuendos. Vince's promo for the for the number one contender, it was it was fine, but it went on a bit long. It just it just dragged a wee bit for me. One of the strongest was just uh, was just Ken Shamrock saying, you know, after after he got beat down by Mabel, saying he wanted to fight him, uh, which which says a lot. So that's only uh, like I say, six and a half out of ten. The production I thought was actually at the same sort of high standard, so I gave that an eight out of ten and. It has been bumped up a wee bit by the brawl for all the fact that they changed the lighting. They had the logo projected onto the ring. They even dimmed the lights to bl- uh, to blank out the crowd, which you see in boxing matches. So yeah, 8 out of 10 for that. Storylines, this is maybe a bit harsh, but compared to recent weeks, there weren't as many threads being tied together. They did a great job within the show of the Ken Shamrock storyline, they had obviously all the interplay between McMahon, Austin, Undertaker, Kane, Mankind, and the sort of continuation of Miro versus Sable. But I gave that uh, I gave that a seven, which is still a really good rating, just not quite as good as the uh, the previous two weeks. And the fan response I gave a six because 
they were lively enough. And a couple of really big pops, you know, for Austin, Sable, etc. But they weren't quite as as sort of rabid as uh, as previous. So it still equates to it being a decent show for me, and it's a, it's a seven out of ten. Excellent. I've also given it a seven out of ten. That you, Fuck me, right. we agree. Yeah, we do, and you're going to be surprised in a minute. The wrestling was a step up from last week when it was kind of non-existent, albeit still in a very entertaining show. The, as you say, the Stone Cold Take a Mankind thing running throughout the show. I very much enjoyed the first Brawl for All match. There's some good, some good bits to it, and, and Terry Funk and his portions. So I, I'm giving it a seven. And would it surprise you that the community vote on Cage match gave this exactly 7.00? So the, the statistic gods have got together and given it a round number. So I don't, about- I, 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 I don't, I don't like this. <laughs> we, we've we, a broken cage match is right twice a day, but when we and we've been close before. But to be spot on, I feel like there's going to be some sort of fissure in the space time continuum. If we go in average, though, we've given it 6.5. Does that make you feel better? A little bit. <laughs> I'm slightly less nervous about reality splitting. Yeah, awesome. if we upload these uh, reviews to Cage Match, it won't be exactly seven anymore. <laughs> right, can, uh, can, we, can we all do that, please? Yeah. That's you. Where can people find you? They'll never find me. I'll be in the darkest places waiting for you. Sinister. Go on, Batch. So you can find us at the LD Wrestling Show on Twitter and Facebook, as well as Instagram. Also, Batches Stew do the 90s. That's just on Facebook at the moment. You can listen to us every week on Dryson Radio on a Saturday evening, podcasting just after that, drystoneradio.com. And the LD Wrestling Show itself will be restarting imminently, which you'll be able to find on all good podcasting services. There we go. What about you know, I, I'm really, really honoured for you to have had us on here and I've really enjoyed talking to you both. Not him, but thanks for having us. When you say him, do you mean me or Batch? Uh, batch. Ah, oh, sweet. <laughs> no, it's, been... Been, it, it's been great having you boys on. No, thanks for coming on. It has been, it's been a right laugh. It's been really uh, good. Yeah. I think that setting us the homework paid off. Definitely. Yeah, otherwise you wouldn't know what the fuck we're on about. Yeah, well, we had we talked about gimmick theft, weren't we, earlier, but way, way long ago, Batch suggested to me, I've never, ever, ever seen an episode of Nitro, and he's he's told me to go back and, and, but, and then I'm going to ask him who the fuck everybody is and stuff. So that's probably going to be our next journey, is it, Batch? Or something like that? I don't know if I've got the patience, but we may try it, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I've missed all this. <laughs> you can call it W WTFIT. Who the fuck is that? There you go. Drive yeah. done. I'd love that, wouldn't they, if we did that? <laughs> Good way to sign off. But, yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's been yeah. an honour, guys. Thank you very much. And I uh, I do enjoy listening to the uh, podcast. It, was, it brings up a lot of great memories for me. And it's all new experiences for Stu, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. been nice to have some fresh eyes on it. 
Yeah, it's been great having you on the show and very much looking forward to uh, LD Wrestling Show making a return. I was uh, lucky enough to be a, a guest on that a couple of times. And going to be welcome back on that. Yeah, look forward to it. Can you have a plus one? Yeah, you'd say you're both welcome, yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't catch that. Yeah. We're going to do a Billy Piper special one week, the music of Billy Piper and nobody else. I went through a period where I'd heard Billy Piper's Day or Night before Huddersfield Town had won a match. So then I ended up playing uh, it before I received the match on the way as like a good luck charm. It, it, it didn't work. And here uh, they are today in the shit. <laughs> that, that's because I've not been playing Day or Night. <laughs> Get back on the job, quick. I'm going to be damn. Are we not three Liverpool fans here trying to say someone else is struggling? Because let's be honest, we're not having a good season. So let's. Let's I'd, rather, I'd, rather, I'd, rather, I'd rather struggle near the top of the Premier League than struggle to stay in the Championship. Yeah, Listen, yeah. Jesus Christ, if you want to swap 7th yeah. in the Premier League for 19th in the Championship, I'll snap your hand off. Platt said to me <laughs> well, well over a year ago now that football doesn't count when there's no fans there. And I was like, God, what are you talking about? But he's right. It's a crowd spot. So... Nobody will get relegated. It's fine, Rob. They're going to reset and start again. Well, I agree with that because that means Leeds aren't in Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> We're all better off. Do you know what? It's nice to hear someone, like all my family are Leeds, so I've kind of got a, an affinity with them. But it's been really, really annoying how much everyone's been loving them. And, and like people, oh, they're my second team. Fuck off. No. You're, you're supposed to hate Leeds. And it's like this new thing of... Been away so long, people like him again. You know, don't get me wrong, I think there's a big respect for uh, your man, um, and they're playing good football, but still, it's Leeds, isn't it? So, it's nice to hear someone not like him still. I was going to say, they, they come close to being my second team, they're probably my first team. I hate them the most, and then it's Bradford City. Yeah, just... there you go. <laughs> <laughs> See, Le- Leeds, by, Leeds by sort of default are my second team, and they always have been because. My mum's a massive Liverpool fan and my dad's a Leeds fan. Right. But because my dad was working away when I was a kid, I was exposed to more Liverpool games than I was Leeds. So I ended up being a no, Liverpool fan. But, I, but I've been to I've been to but I've actually been to more Leeds games than I have Liverpool. Same. Yeah. It batch hates them as well, so we we don't agree yeah. on that, but I'm all right. We're all right, Dan. We'll go to Leeds Liverpool. I like to call it the Canal Derby. I'm surprised that hadn't taken off yet. Give it another season in Premier League and they'll they'll sort it. Yeah. They'll be having second season blues. They'll be uh, straight back down. Um, <laughs> so where can people find you, Dan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually talking a load of bollocks about, uh, well, this week it's been uh, about how I've been completely failing to do my 10,000 steps a day. Uh, I've also been tweeting out uh, food ideas because... Uh, my old man's hopefully getting an outdoor pizza oven soon and I just want to make some weird pizzas. Uh, and I occasionally talk, uh, tweet about wrestling as well, but usually about six weeks behind. And uh, I sometimes get a go on the uh, at UTT podcast account, but I'll leave <laughs> most of that to Rob. And you can find me every month on the 90s Wrestling Podcast pay-per-view reviews and that's uh, there on at 90s Wrestling Pod. Sometimes get a go. You you make it sound as if I take control away from you. You are logged into it hundred percent of the time. It's just you choose. Not no, to I, yeah, because I, I, I don't. You're, you're better at Twitter than me. I don't want to fuck it up for you. Oh, that, the king of Twitter is wrong. 
that's a stretch. You can find me at UTT Rob. Uh, I, I'm not the king of Twitter. I'm I'm not even a Marquis. But uh, I'm more than happy to follow back. It's more about mutuals than uh, than followers. You can find the show at either the UTT Podcast channel if you so, uh, search on Booking the Tower Show UTT Podcast. We're also on that 90s wrestling podcast um, where we do the monthly pay-per-view reviews with James and Mags. So next week, we're going to the highest ever rated episode of WCW. Yes, can't wait for that. Our second Nitro episode. And it's going to be what? That's going to be episode 14. And we'll have done uh, 12 Raws and two Nitros. I'm excited to get back to Nitro because that first one was a doozy. Yeah, and, and then we're going to do a lot of Nitros. And it's going to be a lot of shit. <laughs> it'll be good, though. It'll be, it'll be good shit. It'll be fun. And Mick, with what you did at Hell in a Cell, risking life and limb, I want you to know that I feel your pain. That's genuine. I feel your hurt. I'm sure he means every word of it. And I want to publicly thank you for everything you've ever done for all of us in the World Wrestling Federation. You know, man's presidential material. But is it enough to be named number one contender? <laughs>